Few films have ever created this much anticipation, and no film has ever drawn you so deeply into the world of the occult. The Prince of Darkness protects the powerful. Mickey Rourke, Robert De Niro, Lisa Bonet, Angel Heart. Believe what you've heard. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Yes, we're recording. We're reminiscing about we got a table this week in my mom's attic. That's a little An old uh, rickety one. A little rickety table, and we're talking about all the times we go to a diner and you you get that rickety table at the diner and you have to like put match matchbooks underneath her. Used to play under the table. My in my grandmother's house, she had a big kitchen table, and I got to. I went through a phase where I just played under that table all the Not time. at the diner. Not at the diner, uh, but like in my grandmother's house. I remember going, my shtick was... You kind of pull the chairs in so that like, you know, it's almost like a wall. Yeah, yeah. To get out, you have to crawl under one of the chairs. You know, it's a fort, yeah, but it's yeah, like yeah. in my grandmother's kitchen. <laughs> well, see, I um, I mean, I'm, I remember going under tables, but my, my thing was uh, when I was really super young was going to like department stores. And oh, yeah. uh, hiding in the racks. Going into the, the circular racks. Yeah, yeah. That was, because you think about the proportions, that was like another world. You'd go in there and you'd be able to, it's like a room. Like some other kids, they're like, I've lost my mom. <laughs> <You know? laughs> or there's like a, <laughs> yeah, there's a I've skeleton. Been here for three days. <laughs> some kid's like, what day is it? You know? <laughs> you know? He's like, is, you know, is, is Book Rogers still on? No, that's been canceled five years ago. Oh. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> and he's playing with like, uh, like Mego toys, like the, big, you know, like don't you like GI Joes, the big Barbie size ones? No. Yeah, I used to hide in the racks all the time. That's that's funny. That should be like a skit. Something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some kid that went in there and just never came out. He's, he's he hides in the racks and he's he's able to like teleport into racks, you know, between the racks or something. So just, I mean, the, those are the circular ones. You, I remember. Used I don't to be even think huge. you really see circular racks anymore. Probably for that reason. Yeah, or I guess if you go to... <laughs> like too many kids are getting lost. <laughs> yeah. Kids Mar- are... Marshalls had to, had to do away with the circular act. Yeah. It's Got like, too many complaints. We've lost too many kids this year. That's maybe in the Sears and Roebuck documentary. They realized in the late 80s <laughs> that inside the circular wa- racks was a portal to another dimension. <laughs> a dimension that kids were going through and not coming back. Yeah, you know, we went to King's and J.C. Penney's and I lost my child in the circular rack. It's almost like a poltergeist and you got to throw the rope in. <laughs> Pull the kid out. Yeah, my mom, my parents will talk about like they're being in a store and me like being like two feet behind them, and all the time, and all of a sudden they turn around and I'm gone, <laughs> just because all they did was slip, <laughs> part some clothes and yeah, slip just into right a in. rack. It's really incognito. It's a whole. It's 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 so weird to think about when if you think about being that young and like the size you were, you know, yeah. and dealing with the world. Like I remember my dad going to a bowling alley once and like. He was talking to somebody, so like you know, you kind of like wander off because you know they get tired of looking after you. I remember like grabbing a bowling ball, yeah. and trying to like drag it back to him, and then I finally got the damn thing to him. He's like, "Put this back. <laughs> we're not playing. We're not. We're not. We're not bowling today. We're just talking to Jimmy the Chichu Rapelli." <laughs> so like you know, it's 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 just crazy to think. Or I remember 
really young getting into the car. I, okay, here, here are two stories that people over 35 will, can relate to. One, I remember getting to a car when I was really little, like waiting for my mom, and she hadn't got in yet. So the car's off. Yeah. And I remember like the, the, the gear shift, which is on like the tree, you know, on the column yeah, that yeah. you go drive. I used to think that was a microphone. Yeah. So like I try to pull it down to sing into it, <laughs> but it's locked because it's locked in neutral. <laughs> that, that turns into a movie there, you know, in an automatic, where it's like the kid starts rolling back down the hill and he's, died, 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 died. and then like you see behind him, he's like, you know, there's a lake and then he died that day. But, or it's just like it's one of those things where it goes through traffic and it's just like <laughs> yeah, the car's just, just going by. Yeah, like that's the Buster timing. Keaton. That's the comedy. We tell you to plug Buster Keaton. You have a Buster Keaton um, uh, little um, one-off you did with... Um, oh, yeah. I went on uh, a couple of weeks ago. I went on the Wrong Real podcast. Yeah. And uh, we talked Buster Keaton for, I don't know, a couple hours. <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, you know, that's what I, th I, I... One of my favorite things about this podcast is doing the older stuff or rare stuff because we, we, we hang in the... The time of our childhood, but I like we you know we went both went to film school, so we have a lot of affinity for older stuff. So that's, yeah, yeah, um, we should do kind of those. As, maybe think about doing stuff like that as like a side. Yeah, one offs. Talk um, about somebody specific or a specific genre, kind of yeah. like we used to with the old. Yeah, podcast. yeah, we will have to get back to that. Um, the and to to get back to the thing because we just took a left turn. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> On our <laughs> we're already <laughs> taking the left turn. Now we're taking another left. Yeah, is the second thing I remember is when I was real little. With, with people over thirty five, well, I hopefully identify with is for some reason when I was little, my mom would still make me pump gas. Maybe she was doing something going inside the pay. You know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, anybody remember having to to to, to access the gas tank with in the back of the car you'd have to pull the plate down oh yeah, yeah you know how scary that used to be because i remember like you know when you pull the plate down on that side it's like we were just talking about rusty nails in the last cast and like this you know you'd have screws and stuff holding the plate on the <laughs> yeah, little thing yeah. and you'd have to take the take the thing off and then when you're done you'd have to let go and it would just like slam you'd, a lot of kids like you know, chop got, your fingers yeah <laughs> they get <laughs> little slices of their yeah. gone. just because they were pumping yeah you pump gas as a kid huh yeah those plates do you remember which movie it is i have a feeling it's like a vacation chevy chase clark griswold or they rented a car or something and they couldn't find and the, he uh, and he would they he stopped at the gas station and he's for some reason he couldn't find where the gas cap was. And I he sees the car next to him, pull it back from the thing, so he goes to do it and he pulls it and he ends up <laughs> pulling the the uh the plate off. The plate off and then his and then his wife's like, No, she's a Clark, it's on this it's on this side of the car. That might be one of the vacations when he has that super In my mind it's one of the vacations. You know, it's 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 that you know the one where he has like the super car that they didn't they they invented like a station wagon for him. That's not like a real model. You know, getting back to that um I just plugged last week this the the Scooby Doo Mystery Incorporated. That's a shtick they do where every like three or four times they start off where they have the Griswold family driving to like a place in their car. I mean, it's not the real voiced people, yeah, yeah. but it looks exactly like them. And that's you know the little vignette before the credits as they get scared away or something like that. So, but yeah, that might be one of the the one where because like I haven't seen the first one in years, but isn't it like right at the beginning of the movie something's wrong with his car or something? So he he gets a new car and the new car is the supercar. You know, like the double, it's like, it has like, you know, four sets of headlights up front and it's, you know, it's like, it's like the most souped up station wagon, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm ashamed to say that. It's been forever since I've seen the first one also. They all blend into one and then it's like, I hadn't seen the second one in years and then I, when I went back to watch it, you know, a lot of times you, you kind of like are disappointed because they're not as funny as you remember them because the 80s movies are a lot more emptier. It's just like you didn't yeah. need to do as much. It didn't have to be as sophisticated. When I was in London though, when I was taking the 
tour bus. I did a day trip to Stonehenge. Yeah. And as we were, I guess it had to make a couple of stops in London before it left for Stonehenge. And there was, we go through like the roundabout. Yeah. And from European vacation. Oh, so, Parliament. Yeah. So the guy's like, uh, you know, this is it. And he's like, actually, us locals now, we call it the Chevy Chase roundabout. Oh, that's pretty cool. Like it's gotten its own <laughs> since then because it's become so popular. They get because, stuck in because they get stuck because in the roundabout. Because of that movie. It's Parliament. Like, it's unofficially the Chevy Chase roundabout. There's it's, some really fun moments in that movie. And that's another movie where if we ever get to, it's pretty crazy where, I mean, it's a, it's it basically, it's a family movie, but they're making a porno at the beginning that gets leaked. You know, and then when they get to Paris, like the 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 porno, the the homemade porno has been leaked on t- into like the market. So like there's a <laughs> there's a still of her on like a bus stop uh, advertisement, her in the shower, and she's like ah. So it's like pretty, you know, it's pretty scandalous for the time, but not for the '80s, I guess. Not in the '80s. You know, um, and there's a lot of cameos in that too. Like John Cleese shows up. Don't they hit him with the bike? He's like the bike. No, I, I don't. Is that John Cleese? I thought it was Eric Idle. Oh, you're right. That could yeah, be my just it my is, memory. It is it's Eric Idle, and maybe John Cleese is like one of the. Um, you know, the, 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 like the, the, the B&B keepers yeah, yeah. or something. But you're right, that is Eric. I get them all mixed up, Eric. I <laughs> those Monty Python Those Pythons. Guys. You know, those Terry Gilliams. So, uh, but this week, let's, let's get it back on the road. We yeah. went a little off-road. We're traveling way back. <laughs> way down the alley. This month. 30 years this month. Remember, we kept saying that 87 is going to be a big 30, 25, 25-year <laughs> anniversary. <laughs> So we're traveling way back to February of 1987. Yeah, this is a with a request from Brendan Koskioli. <laughs> Let's hope Kesky-oli. we. are gonna hope we said that right <laughs> as we Brendan, take it down. We, uh, apologize <laughs> if we massacred your name, but we're gonna send you a nice grab bag of all our goodies. You're gonna get our buttons and pins, and our, uh, you're gonna get a hat and and uh, a February free. 27th, 1987. A little movie. A little one. Just a teeny tiny little movie called A Nightmare on Elm Street Three. Three. Dream Warriors. Yeah, this is the first one we've done of the Freddies. Yeah. Uh, we're starting right in, right, right in the middle. Mid, right in the middle. <laughs> right. How many are there total? Uh, well, there's. I think there's six officials, Parts. and then there's Freddy versus Jason, and then a remake. Okay. So, like, five, five is, is Freddy's dead. Six is Freddy's dead. And then there's the New Nightmare? Nightmare. Oh, wait, and then New Nightmare, which is seven. Okay. And then, then, then there's Freddy versus Jason, and, there's and then there's the remake. And then there's the remake. Yes. And then also, um, what it's we discovered. News, it's in the news right now that he's there's a documentary. Yeah, that's coming out. First of all, there's this documentary on this one it's called The uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Legacy. Is that what it's called? Oh, you're talking about like the four hour? Yeah. Hour. It's called yeah. The Never Sleep Again. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that thing is four freaking hours. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a tour de force. And there's also a book titled The Same Thing that I hear is very good, but I never read the book. And the whole series. It's on the whole series, yeah. yeah. I, don't uh, know if, I don't know what's first. Maybe the book came out and then they made the doc or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, and we ca- th- stumbled across the um, original show that didn't ver- last very long, the f- Nightmare on Elm Street, the series with well, yeah, Freddy Krueger. Nightmares. Yeah. Is that what it's called? I think so, yeah. And um, I thought it was Friday the 13th, the series. Not Friday the 13th. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm <laughs> there Street, was the a series. Friday 13th yes, the series. it had nothing to do, funny <laughs> enough, with... Uh, with uh, Jason Voorhees, but this one actually has uh, Fred Krueger uh, in it for the wraparounds. He's like the crib keeper. Yeah, but he's also, I mean, I don't know, the, unfortunately, I don't know the show well enough. But the few episodes I've seen, he's also in, you know, like he, they're about Freddy. Well, this, so the, the what we stumbled across, with, I mean, it could have been the pilot, 
to the to maybe the first episode of the show. I don't. I thought it was, but maybe it might not be now that I yeah. think about it. But it's the backstory of Freddy. It's dramatized his backstory, which a lot of times they don't really get into so much. They, I guess, they do in later movies. Yeah, but uh, they, they start. They kind of start with his background in this one. Yeah, and then they continue to elaborate on it as the series continue, you know, goes goes forth. And this is eighty seven, and that series episode was like eighty nine or something. And it, you know, it's very. Uh, and we'll I, talk about it. Yeah, that one. I think that came to prominence recently because it was like Toby Hooper's birthday, and I think he directed. Yeah, that he directed episode. that episode. Yeah. Um, so. Anyway, uh, thanks for yeah, listening. Yeah, I, <laughs> see you later. That was great. Clothing racks. Hashtag clothing. Clothing rack. Lost in the clothing racks. So. Um, 1987, I remember, uh, you know, I just moved uh, towns from New Haven to a suburb, Hamden. I was in a new school, Catholic school, got to get up in the morning. And, uh, you know, you get up, and I think I'd get be dressed first. I used to have this shtick, which is actually quite funny, was I was always trying to, like, get something by. And one of the most famous things in my house was, like, one night my dad got home from work, and he went to kiss me goodnight, and he, like, pulled it down. He's like, what the hell? And he pulled the the sheets over and I, I was already dressed and he woke me up he's like why are you dressed I was like because I'd be able to sleep longer in bed and so I get up all like you know they just put my <laughs> shoes on shovel. yeah <laughs> well that was I was trying to plot and scheme I was like I, I get another half hour and sleep you know in bed if I just so he's like get out of bed and change but anyway so I remember like you know I get up I maybe be dressed ready to go first and my sister, my mom would be getting my sister ready. And I'd be like, what? you know, so I turned the TV on when I wasn't really supposed to. You know, I was like, don't turn the fucking TV on. But I'd like, I'd creep in and turn the TV on to see what's on. And that's when I remember like seeing the, um, the Transformers series, the season that's after the movie, when they're like on Cybertron. I remember seeing a lot of those and like the, the raps like, you know, we will return to the Transformers. And then I remember one morning flipping the channels and turning on and seeing like the Dream Warrior video. You know, yeah, and all the yeah. and all that on MTV, and because that was a huge thing, the Dream Warrior video, yeah, um, the docking. Yeah, it was one of like the first tie-ins. I don't. I mean, I guess this has been done before, but it was like a good marketing strategy. So I remember seeing that, and then I remember there was a circa era like documentary making of. Yeah, of like the uh, more like effects stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember seeing that too when I was little. And that well, was I like, think you know, I've mentioned before that one of the main things that made me want to make movies when I was young was a making of four. Mm. Was that the one where he's like the, he's the people in the faces coming out of the wall? No. Yeah. It, they, the, the, it here we see in this, at the end of this one, we see the faces like in his chest. Yeah. But I think that happens again in four. And they ended up using like actors. with a big. That, like, I remember that wall. And, so maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting and, too confused. Um, I think it's four because I also think it had to do with the Roach Motel. I remember watching about how they did that, where they projected his eye into the window of that, and she had the fake like oh, yeah, Roach yeah, yeah. arms. That's why yeah. I think it's four. But it also there was a long time where I did think it was three, also because it also starts with like the uh, the junk the junkyard. Yeah. Four does. Yeah, but I remember because they talk about being a miniature and there was this big effect shot, but they did it in miniature. and So, yeah, it it could have been three, but I feel like it was four. I remember a lot of crossover effects. Yeah, I remember that scene where it's like a wall-ish and people are pushing their faces through. And then I remember, 
a lot of stuff for this, like the snake and stuff. And, and so maybe I'm getting confused. Maybe they did a making of the video. I yeah. remember the video, and the video was awesome. Then he's in the video, which is kind of cool. But maybe they did a you know? Maybe it was both. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at the time, fuck knows. They, it was they a long had time. A, yeah. <laughs> Give us a break. It was 30 years ago. Yeah, we were, we were, and we were, I was getting ready for school <laughs> on, on a cold winter morning. And, um, but, you know, for all we know, like the movie channel or like HBO could have had like these, you know, like little, you know, yeah, the, the it was inserts that they put between movies. It was definitely, the making of was definitely on like a pay cable, like yeah. Cinemax or MTV, uh, not MTV, or HBO. And I had the movie channel back then because I remember when I was really little when, uh, what's his face? Um, your guy from uh, uh, Monster Vision, Bob, uh, Joe, Bob Briggs. Joe Bob Briggs. I remember him first being on the movie channel, me seeing him in his freaking, you know, uh, Lounge chair, outdoor chair, like you know, and I was like, Who the hell is this guy? What the fuck is that? <laughs> what the hell is he doing? And then I remember when he moved to Monsters, he's like, Oh, I remember this guy from uh, Movie Channel. So I remember that time. But uh, this movie, I feel like, in a way, even though it's we're starting in the middle of the series, I feel like this is like the perfect one for us to start with. Yeah. I think this is the beginning of Freddy. In a lot of ways, this is where Freddy catches his stride. And the movies catch the stride in the in that what they're going to be from now on. Yeah, the first one was the first one. It's great, and this isn't. This is and Dream Warriors ends up, ends up being a bit of a fan favorite. Yeah, I think maybe the majority of fans of the series like this one the best. Um, as a little side note, when I was writing my book, uh, in the middle of writing my book is when when Wes Craven passed away. Yeah, and I talked to Charles Bernstein who did the score for the first movie. And I talked to uh, Harry Manfredini, who scored Swamp Thing, which Wes Craven did. So Wes Craven is a bit of a presence in the book. And when he died, I was kind of in the middle or wrapping up writing it. And so I dedicated the book <clears throat> to Wes Craven. and Old Uncle Wes. Good old Uncle Wes. And even though he didn't direct this movie, yeah, he wrote the first draft and it was based on his story. He wanted to come back to the series after the, the kind of the debacle that was the second one. Although yeah. I actually really like the second one, but it was not, it was critically and financially not that big of a success. And, uh, and it's become notorious for reasons that we can get to either later or whenever we get around to doing this. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but there was something about this movie that always kind of stuck out to me. Um, you grew up with Friday the 13th series being kind of your horror series. Um, to me, I, if I had to pick one, I guess I was into the Chucky movies because they were the least threatening, I think, that's as the, a child. That's another memory I have in the early morning hours. And maybe this is the same. Maybe they played a show that early, but I remember turning it on and seeing a uh, like a little like you know making of the first Chucky movie. Because yeah. I think the first Chucky movie is 87 or 88. Yeah, you know, and I remember that being that series and the animatronic aspect of it. I'm like, that looks scary as all hell. You yeah, know? I think I, I, I think I. It was that was a good series for a little kid yeah. to start to get into because the idea of a of a doll is scary, but also kind of so outlandish that it's wasn't quite as terrifying for a little kid. I think. Well, if it's, the, you know, looking back on it, for me, like if it's done well, I think it's. I mean, it can get. Outlandish very quickly, like you know, if you look back at like the Telly Savalas Twilight Zone episode, talking Tina, that was you know yeah. that horrified me. And I knew that when I was little. Yeah. And then the Chucky, because I think we talked last week, like the My Buddy affiliation. Chucky yeah. looks a lot like My Buddy. <laughs> yeah. So I and I think they played on that. Sure. You know, like because uh, what's his name? He's the nice guy, yeah, or good guy, good guy. Yeah. Good. So 
for especially for that first movie, they played it so serious. The second yeah. one, I, I love, and I had like the comic adaptation. That if we ever get to the second one of that movie, it's like me and my friend Martin were trying like one day to get to the cinema to see it, and yeah. no one would bring us, and, and then no one wanted to take us because it was hard R. And I and uh, but like that's when you know he starts. They start making it kind of funny. They always kind of go that way. It's like for me, you think about like Friday the Thirteenth. It's like I don't think they really found their ground of like you say where the character's gonna go until like six. Yeah, yeah. Because you know the first few there's a lot going on. He's you know he's it's, you know it's his, I don't want it's his mother spoiler. It's it's a pillowcase. He's deformed. Then it's five. It's not even him. He's killed yeah. in four. But then six they kind of establish him as like an undead. I think zombie. every series you know that, every really successful series has that movie that's like the turning point for it. And and, and yeah. you also have to like Freddie. You know, as I say in the, as I kind of describe in the beginning of my book, in the, the preface, is like you and I, and I think a lot of our listeners, we're, ca- we're part of what I call the video store generation. Yeah. Which is our entire like adolescence and our formative years where we had video stores. Yeah. You know, and we're, there's only our generation and a few years after us and a few years before that, us, that can say that. Yeah. And, because of that and, and home video and the way it was rental, Jason and especially Freddie, because he was had a more of a personality than Jason did, we were like rock stars. Yeah. Like, like Freddie was huge. Well, I think it's, <laughs> for us, it's the equivalent of like, you know, from the 30s to the 50s or 60s, Frankenstein. And they yeah, were like yeah. their There's versions something of very interesting Dracula about, and Frankenstein. about horror movie figures. We've talked about that with, you know, if you th- you ask anybody to think of Frankenstein, they're going to think of Morris Karloff. I mean, we th- horror. There's a way of having icon. I think it has to do a lot with the imagery. Yeah, it's you know it's very striking and it's unique and and so it it's very marketable and people it, like to be scared, especially if it's a I think a character that's reoccurring. But you yeah. know, or like a Frankenstein kind of in the fr- even in the in the original <clears throat> uh, James Whale movie, you kind of feel bad for you know it's like they're mistreating. It's like King Kong. It's like now when I watch King Kong being like an animal lover, it's like I don't know if I can sit through King Kong again. Yeah. How they just well, the, they kill him at the, the end. Seventies one was just on yesterday. Oh, last that's night. Ter- I was watching it and I was like, hey, just leave King Kong alone. Yeah, King Kong just trying to get home. <laughs> you know, King Kong just trying to get all the. It's, but it's terrible. You know, it's it's crazy because uh, he had this this he had the film series, he had a television series, he had a hot phone hotline. Yeah, um, he's in the docking video and sixth grade. I remember, you know, you have like that little Halloween parade around your elementary school. There was like five Freddies. Oh yeah, kids dressed up in the yeah. The, <laughs> you know, yeah. It, so we're talking about a guy who was a, cheer, a child killer and and presumably molester. Yeah, and he's being celebrated. There were toys. Uh, Vanderbilt knew the name of the actual toy, but I had like a, a Barbie sized Freddy doll. Yeah. when I was growing up. Um, so. Freddy was, even though the Nightmare on Elm Street series as a series, probably, I, I can't honestly say that it was like my series growing up. Freddy was definitely a very prominent figure. And so when Wes Craven died and I was re- finishing the book, and when you, when you write a book, you have all these things you have to think about. Like, you're who you're going to thank, um, the bio of yourself you have to write. I'm sure, like about the author. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, somebody don't hire somebody to do that for you. You have to do that, so you have to kind of think of yourself yeah. in this weird third person, and like, how do I want to present myself and um, acknowledgments? And you have this opportunity to have a dedication page. And never in my mind, in, my, in a million years, would I have 
thought that I would dedicate the book to Wes Craven. But he died at the time, and and like I said, he is a, a part of the book in the way people talk about him in the book. And um, even though he was never my favorite horror director, he certainly is a significant figure in horror and a very important figure for the horror genre. And when I had to figure out what I was going to say, um, even though he didn't direct this movie, this originated from his ideas and it was certainly his series. So the dedication I came up with, I think was, uh, the book, this is dedicated to Wes Craven, whose work continues to inspire dreamers and dream warriors. Oh, tie in. (laughs) tie in. And, uh, somebody actually tweeted a picture they took a picture of that dedication page and they tweeted it and they were like, once I read this, I knew I had to buy this book. <laughs> and because it was, it was a good very, endorsement. You know, it was, I don't know. I, even like I said, he was never my favorite. It was, I was very sad when he died. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, we're getting to that age where people that are going to be people that were very influential to, our upbringing or our generations and stuff, we're going to start passing away. Yeah, they already have. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. but it's like, it's just going to happen more. Yeah. And it, it's kind of, a, it's a scary thought and it really touched me uh, in a way that I wouldn't have expected because like I said, you know, I like, to me, my two favorite of the series, of the Nightmare series are the first one and New Nightmare. Yeah. Which are the two that he directed. And and it's, it, it's not a, like a snobbish thing and that like, I, I only like the ones Wes Craven. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know I, I have no particular love for Wes Craven, but for some reason, those two are the ones that appealed to me. Um, and I remember when I was, when we were in film school and I was really starting to get kind of diehard into horror, everybody would talk about this one, uh, Dream Warriors, the one we're discussing today. And so I watched it. And at the time, I remember not liking it as much as everybody else seemed to like it. But I do have to admit, watching it tonight with you, like, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. Like, I was kind of way into it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's really imaginative and... Like I said, it's the one that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the series. It's the it's the makeup is even like this is now Freddy's makeup. Yeah, yeah. The makeups before this are similar, but this is now the Freddy, Look. even visually that yeah. will, will will be what Freddy is for the for the rest of the series for us the, on the posters, and then just like the tone of the imaginative. Uh, Deaths, like the outlandish fantasy of it, and becomes, him certainly because two he kind of goes that way. He he's starting starts to, to go, go that comedic. way, but this is like even solidifies, yeah. you know, like goes finally puts that fully that stamp on that uh, black humor, you know, uh, the satirical. Kitsch. Side it of it, it yeah. takes essentially takes the Nightmare on Elm Street series and Freddy from being like a cult success to mainstream. Yeah. And that starts with this movie. Yeah. And that it has no smart no small part to do with marketing it with like a Dawkins song and the video which was huge and having that video be the first time a video was put on the VA the VHS with the movie. That's like a special feature. <laughs> you know, just watch through it at it the was, end. It was special features on a VHS which weren't really done. Yeah. Um so I have a lot of respect for this movie in that it 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 finally is, you know, I always say like next generation Star Trek doesn't really, in my opinion, doesn't really find its 
footing until Beverly Crusher leaves and then comes back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then it becomes what it's going to be. Uh, that's the way this movie is to me. Watching this, it's like, this is the, Fre- this is Freddy. Yeah. You know, the rest are, you could argue even a more interesting take on Freddy, but this is what, be- this is what Freddy becomes and is to most of us. It starts in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we completely jump in, I just had a, a memory where um, last night, uh, well, I guess last night for us, we watched this movie, but Friday night, uh, really late, I was up in bed watching TV, and um, one of those shows comes on, I Have a Secret, by Gary Moore from the 50s. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the premise of the show is usually somebody comes on and they have a secret, and then, like, they whisper to the announcer what they, the secret is, and you see it in the bottom, and then, like, the panel, who are famous people, try to guess it. So they brought in uh, Keenan Wynn, who's an actor who's... Uh, son of Edwin from like people know from Mary Poppins has a like voice and um, he brought in this unique thing where uh, it was going to be a play he says I brought instead of doing a secret this week the secret this week is I brought in a scene we're all going to do the scene but one of the judges is not going to have a script so we're all going to have lines to read in parts but this one's going to have to ad lib their way through the scene and it was this very beautiful girl and uh, she had this you know back in the 59 in the 50s when they were doing this they had these beautiful big ballroom Gowns. It was a really f- great way to dress. Yeah. So this poor girl through the whole skit uh, is like trying to get her way through it. And then there's a musical number, and she's she's trying, and she gets really good in the musical number. And I'm like, this is this girl's amazing. So I try to look up who it is because I thought it was uh, a chick from the Joey Bishop show, which just started airing, but it wasn't this girl named Abby. Um, oh, I forget her last name. But uh, I look who this is, and it's Betsy Palmer who ends up being Jason Voorhees' mom from the first Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's her 20 years ago, you know, uh, gorgeous as all hell, doing like More this great that. number 59. Yeah, so it's like, eight, is it 80? Is, yeah, is, uh, yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah so like 21, guess, you know. Yeah, I guess about 20 But it's like, she's so that. different from you remember her from being yeah. his mother. Like, she's almost, to me, like masculine looking, you know, how they mm-hmm. present her. But in this, she's like gorgeous. Like, you know, she's got like a, you know, like a shoulderless, strapless top and she's yeah, dancing yeah. and she's like, you know, doing all this. And it's like, you know, but it's so weird to see the connection and we're talking about the old. Well, you know, that's you know, the kind of the beautiful thing about uh, horror of the 70s and 80s is that oh, there's so many people who just show yeah, up. Well, it's just, just like, you know, it, they, you know, John Saxon, for instance, in, in these, in the, in the nightmare series, yeah, you have these amazing actors that are, you know, know the craft, have tons of experience, have worked with so many. Look at those people. Betty Davis movies. We've seen she, Betty Davis burnt offerings. She's in, um, she's in like three or four, like yeah. pretty heavy horror movies. And then, but they're like at the end of, they're they're towards they're in the last half the yeah. back nine of their careers and you know they're not getting offered the kinds of parts they were getting so you end up having like these amazing iconic yeah actors that you know I or I, I'd hate to say slumming because I don't think I don't think they are but I can only imagine in some way in the back of their mind they it's feel a, that I think way. some of them maybe think it's a paycheck while others may you know, be into it. I mean, I always got the opinion from uh, Betty Davis seeing those movies that she actually took it kind of seriously. It didn't seem like she was just yeah. like walking through the role. Or you get other actors who are young and maybe their career is kind of like shit the bed and they're trying to revitalize themselves. I mean, I've been watching a lot of those uh, movie of the week, horror movie of the weeks that mm-hmm. now they're all on YouTube. You can find yeah. all these seventies movies and there's this great one with William Shatner in it. And it takes, it's like, he was in Terror at uh, 39,000 Feet, the Richard Matheson Twilight Zone episode, but this one is called, like, Ghost or, or Horror, 
at 30,000 feet. It's about this guy like took apart this abbey church in england and is moving it to the states and it's the stones are in the cargo hold yeah. so this whole ghost thing happens you know it, it, on this plane and it, it's and you have um like three actors who end up going to d- be in star trek at um wrath of Khan. it's 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 uh uh, what's his face? Paul Winfield is playing this English guy, mm-hmm. you know, and Shatner, of course. And there's a whole, there's there's about five or six other really heavy hitters. What's his face from um, um, Beverly Hills? Uh, bu- 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 uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> what's the uh, Jason Priest? Hillbilly, Beverly Hill Hillbillies. What's his oh, name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Buddy Epson. He's in it. Yeah. It's like you have so you have these movies like at the time. And I know we're getting a little off track, but you have like a movie that's like a TV movie of the week and you have like like five out of the six actors are like heavy hitters yeah, yeah. or people who like Shatner, who maybe is not a heavy hitter at the time, but his career will revitalize. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's playing an alcoholic who's an ex-priest who is now an atheist and he's trying to like, you know, and he's completely hamming the role up as a, as a drunk and expel- sure. so it's. It's great you see, especially when they take the stuff seriously, like you know, like say Devil's Reign or something. Where you have, yeah, you know, yeah. you have something where it's like, yeah, you know, everyone's, you know, in there and they're respecting the, the, uh, the product. Sure. You know, well, it, here we have John Saxon as uh, reprising his role as uh, Nancy's father. No, he's not in the second one. He's not in the second yeah. one. Yeah, neither is Nancy. Yeah, neither yeah. Is Heather Ligonkamp. Um, and I just I'm fascinated by John Saxon, and I get more fascinated as like the years go by. I mean, if I have a John Saxon story, which you can hear, I believe, in our Black Christmas cast. You want to reprise it, or you <laughs> want people to go listen to that? No, go listen to the Black Christmas yeah. cast. I have a little bit of a run in with John Saxon story. Um, but here's a guy who uh, started as a young actor during the studio system. Yeah. Um, he's in a great movie that I cannot remember the name of that I would love to remake someday where he's a student that becomes obsessed with like his hot teacher. But this is like, we're talking about the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but it's so, totally a story that can work. In fact, it, there's a story that's almost just like it that just came out with the uh, Jennifer Lopez a few years ago, but he's in a great movie there where he's like, he plays the teen and, uh, but here's a guy that's worked with, you know, Bruce Lee. Yeah. Dario Argento. He's in a, ton of great Italian horror movies and he's worked with Wes Craven and he's in Bob Clark and Black Christmas. I'm sure during the 50s and 60s he did like a lot of big mainstream things yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, you know, he's, he's, he's had like an amazing career Yeah, and somehow found notoriety or at least steady work in these genre pictures of the 70s and in the 80s. Um, and so he reprises his role as he was lieutenant in the first one. I think he has has, has had a demotion. <laughs> oh, he looks like he's wearing just a security outfit. Yeah, yeah So yeah. I think he's completely lost his he's, job. He's rattled with the, the guilt, guilt of what's happened with the Kruger situation. But it doesn't seem like he fully believes it, maybe, <laughs> in this. He's, he doesn't really know what to make of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's got a... And that also goes down, I guess, script because... Uh, Wes Craven, he, he had a completely different script in mind. Yeah, so Wes Craven originally, well, the original concept he had was to do something that later became New Nightmare, yeah. which was kind of be a, you know, where Freddy comes out of the movie and starts to kill the people that were in the first movie. But uh, eventually he writes the script with a guy named Bruce Wagner. He writes this uh, an original script. and But they... He he doesn't do the second one. The second one is does really well, but people aren't. Well, he's second not really one happy. Does well, but not as well. I think as I think that, well enough to do another one. But I don't think they were really 
I think they were expecting it to do bigger. And then a new line comes to Craven, and Craven, and he, and Craven really disliked what they yeah. had planned for the second one. And I think that's why he didn't end up directing it because he's like, I don't like the script, and if you don't want to put the time in for me to rewrite this, which they didn't, they're like, Yeah, this is good enough. This is what we're going to shoot. And Wes Craven's like, Well, if this is what you're going to shoot, then I'm not shooting it. Yeah. So they ended up getting someone else who they had worked with before to do the second one. And then... Uh, and Chris, I should note, my buddy Chris Young, who's featured in uh, Scored to Death, my book, he he did the music for the second one. And he tells a very funny story about scoring the second one and why he thinks Charles Bernstein wasn't asked back to do the music for the second one. Charles Bernstein did the music for the first one. And the Nightmare on Elm Street series is, an, is it a weird series in that... Uh, I don't think any composer has worked on the series more than once. Mm. I think every movie has a different composer. Uh, the composer for this one is uh, best known because he's done most of, most if not all of uh, David Lynch's movies. Angelo Badalamente. Badalamente. Um, but uh, so they get Craven back, and Craven he 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 kind of. Does it partly because he doesn't like the second one, and partly because of financially he wants to get yeah. back into it and, and rework his deal with, with points to get you know to to, to get it more of a um, residual. Yeah, and he he gets on board. He writes the the, the version of the scripts. Well, what happened was that Bob Shea, who owned New Line Cinema, New Line Cinema was originally a uh, dis- mostly a distribution company, but when they started making movies, they were so far in debt or something that. They ended up not really making any money on the first one because whoever had given them the money to make it and to keep the, the business afloat, they got paid. They made the money. But what Bob Shea had was a property that now we can go make. Yeah, the rights to. You yeah. know, we, can, we have a, a, a successful property, which was the Nightmare on Elm Street series and Freddy. So they put out the second one, which is now known as the gay one. Yeah. You know, it's. Is that really. I mean, is it. It is very gay. Yeah, but I mean, and, is it actually in within circles? People call it like kind yeah. Of a, it's well, people. I think they've come around and really view it as that it's you know people view it and certainly argue or theorize that it's really about uh, in the closet teen, and Freddie can represent anything you want in that context. Um, is that what people read into it, or, you th- or is there like kind of maybe essence of well, forever, the every, was gay forever or? everybody that's had anything to do with it says that was not the intention. Although uh, the writer in later years has said, well, it was definitely subtext. It oh, became boy. a little more. There you go. In in uh, in the form. I definitely like dudes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was definitely there was a lot of you know it was in the eighties, so there was a lot of uh, you know there was the big. Uh, AIDS scare yeah, yeah. and there was a lot going on with homosexuality in terms of hate crimes and but uh, the beginning of a movement uh, and a lot of people rights a lot of people that, that you didn't know uh, were gay were coming out you had, like yeah. Anthony Perkins and you had um, well, you know Rock Montgomery Hudson. Cliff yeah Rock Hudson because, uh, Rock Hudson died of AIDS yeah because of the AIDS stuff you know it kind of forced it all into the foreground maybe so, Freddie Mercury I don't know if he kept his sexuality uh at first, uh, yeah, I don't know. you know, I don't know either. I'll I mean, because in the old days, and... you look at like Anthony Perkins, yeah, the studios used to just set him updates. So, like, Anthony Perkins going to the cinema with Elizabeth Taylor, <laughs> and, and it wasn't, you know, yeah, they would just do that to keeping up appearances. But, um, uh, as flawed as the second one is, I actually kind of find it 
very enjoyable and fascinating. So but, my, my thing is, is I never, I've seen the first one. First one scared the shit out of me. I've seen parts of the second and I've seen parts of all the others. But since you already alluded to that, my shtick was kind of the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. I kind of liked, I kind of more was a Jason guy where Friday to me was kind of, you know, I didn't like the satirical comedy and a lot of it. So I never really saw these. So this was actually my maiden voyage of seeing this yeah. for the first time all the way through, you know. So it's interesting now to come into it because I like you say, I've always heard that three was held in a certain level of esteem yeah. as opposed to the others. Yeah. You know. Um Well I think two is I think people have come around on two, but I yeah. think for a long time two was kind of widely hated. The way in the way that like Halloween three yeah. has had a resurgence and people have come to recognize it. But two it has a lot you know, it has a lot of writing on it, you know, a yeah. sequel, a sequel like that because in in for me, I feel like that the the property is handled so much differently in the first movie. You know, there's not really that element of, yeah. you know, and I kind of like that. He's largely silent. In the yeah, first I, I like that him being the boogeyman as opposed to being the one who, you know, throws the one-liners. Yeah, so yeah. it's interesting to see him, you know, start off so serious when you see him making the glove and then the aspects and the terrifyingness of the dream, what's dream and what's reality, yeah, yeah. you know, and then... You know that's his shtick with the you know him dragging the nails on the uh, sure you know sure. and then the second and I one think that's why I the first and the la and the new nightmare kind of appealed to me yeah as well he's the most menacing yeah where it seems like he's starting to fit into you know getting that getting his his feet wet in the or putting the new shoes on of being the the comedic huckster and certainly in this one you know they say. Uh, England kind of improv some of these most famous lines. Yeah. He's starting to get these lines that people are going to remember. Well, this is the third time he's he's playing the character. Yeah, and you know he's said, and I think a lot of actors would agree that the more an actor plays a part, or after a certain point when the actor's played the part so many times, nobody really knows that character as well as that actor does. Of not course. even the writers. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where we start to see that's I think that's largely part of why we start to see kind of Freddy come into his own. We, you know, Craven, as we said, we wrote the first draft. They uh, Bob Shea and New Line Cinema liked that first draft, but they thought it needed work. So they brought in people that we have talked about on the show before, even though this is predates that. Yeah. They bring in uh, Frank Darabont and Chuck Russell, who did. The following year did the blob yeah which the 88 remake of the blob which we did a couple of halloweens ago yeah and uh, chuck russell ends up directing this movie and i think the beautiful thing about uh this series is that you can really because it because it's using this format of the dream um it's kind of this launching pad for everything you can a, a filmmaker, an artist, or whatever can let their minds kind of their imaginations run wild, and I think that's also where we start to see that in this one more than the previous two. And this is '87, and we have a movie that came out in I think '84, '85 called Dreamscape that I'm a big fan of, and yeah. you see elements of that in here where the idea of being able to. Um, fall asleep and go into somebody's dream or bring people into your dream and that's kind of a terrifying to have the it's it's i guess it's the whole crux of the of the kruger character of being yeah. able to you have to deal with him within your dreams but then when you wake up you know you don't know if you're up or not or 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 if yeah. he's still going to get you um when the f remake came out of the first movie which was what 2011 yeah, maybe 10 or 10 11. 11 um he showed up at my job 
Robert England pumping something. And everyone's like, Robert England's here, you know? So I was like, sweet. So I got to meet him and I got a picture with him, which is great. But I, I you know, like we always talk about on this cast, I try to like talk to people about stuff that they may not, you yeah, know, people yeah. don't usually, yeah, obscure <laughs> stuff. So I said yeah, to him, yeah. like, you know, I really enjoyed his, um, he did an episode of the uh, Masters of Horror. He did Richard Matheson's Dance of the Dead short story, which is utterly terrifying to me. Yeah, and then yeah. that version of that is really fucked up, I think. And just it's the whole concept is just really fucking out there. And it, it kind of terrifies me. So I brought that up to him. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, dude, wasn't it great? And he's like, Richard Matheson, you know. So then another kid with me is like, what do you think of the new Freddy movie? Are you going to like it? You know, you think you'll like it? He's like, I, I you don't know. So... At the time, my wife, this is her favorite property of horror movies. So I asked him, I was like, hey, do you mind if I get an autograph for my wife? And he goes, yeah, sure. He goes, what's her name? And I go, Helen. So he starts writing on a white piece of paper, and we're talking about the Richard Matheson Dance of the Dead. He's like, yeah, isn't it a good property? Yeah. And then he starts doing this weird thing where he's not really writing anything. He's drawing like a, a line here, a line here, a symbol here. And I'm like, I'm looking at him. And he goes, what's her name again? And I go, oh, Helen. And he's still writing. And then I start to realize as we're talking that he's actually abstractly drawing a caricature of Freddy. And he must have it down to like he yeah. just knows how to draw it. And it ends up being like a side profile of Freddy with like I think the knives. And it says like sleep kills bitch. Fred from Robert England, <laughs> and I don't even think he 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 wrote her name to Helen. Yeah, yeah. He just he asked me twice what her name is, and he just wrote "Sleep Kills, Bitch," uh, Robert England, and he gave it to me. And then we took a picture, and he was such a nice guy. And he's one of these guys who, I mean, look at his age now; he's got to be like in his sixties or something. Oh, I would imagine. So, and he yeah. to me looked like he was like you know a forty year old. Like you know he didn't look like he was aging at all. Real like sinewy, real. Yeah, and, you know, in nice. fact, I think he's super sweet, super nice now than he. Yeah, you know he's aged really well. It's it's one of these guys who just come into yeah himself like they a, filled out a little bit like an know. Ed Harris or you know these people or Sean Connery didn't seem like he aged for twenty years so like you know it was super sweet meeting him and he was such a nice guy but it's it's one of these things where you know he owns this role and it's it's you know I wonder how many times for even like like people don't know about like celebrity appearances like you know he gets paid like you know. Twenty thousand dollars to show up at night yeah, yeah. to just put the makeup on and play like a kid's bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was at uh, the first. Uh, you and I are going to be. You know, it depends on when you listen to this as a listener. But as f- of when we recorded this, in, a, in about a month or so, we're going to be at Monster Mania in Cherry Hill. Uh, oh, that's a plug. The weekend of March. 10th, 11th, and 12th of 2017. Cherry Hill, New Jersey. In Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Um, I'm only going to be there for the weekend, but you're going to be there for the three days. Yeah. Uh, but he, I did that, con- the same convention in Cherry Hill back in August, and he was there. And it was a big deal. I mean, I didn't meet him or see him. Yeah. I, I was working, but... Um, you got to think of how many people want to sell meet him. Book. Yeah, yeah, you're hocking <laughs> a book. But uh, I know it was a big deal that he was there. That's like when we were the when we went the last year we went to the comic book market exchange in 2015 when we were about to leave and the the big deal was the the, the original Power Rangers were going to be there and Roddy Piper was showing up. Yeah, yeah. And they had these lines and we I had never known because for us we're a little older than the the crowd that does the Power Rangers. You see people who are like 30 who are like wearing like you know Ranger yeah, and it's way like, into it. Yeah, they're, they're under their under they're like their zip real, up. It was a real eye opener. Yeah, I never realized that power. I knew that they were popular. Yeah, but I never. It's not like we're looking down at it. it just never. No, it just never clicked because we were. Ju- I think we were just a tad too old. Yeah, we were Ninja Turtles, and then that yeah. kind of we kind of like left it when that came on the scene, and that's kind of still going. I mean, if you're like a purist, yeah, I for think that, there's another movie coming out, there, and so. that and the movie looks pretty good from you know from what I've seen the teaser stuff. But I would watch it occasionally because, as I've stated at my mom's house. uh I didn't have cable, yeah. so like I didn't have that many options. So I would occasionally watch it, 
And it's uh, awful silly. Like they have a lot of those vignettes where they're like they're at the max, you know, and they're <laughs> you know, and they're the two the two guys, you know, it's a lot yeah, of like yeah. like like pratfall stuff. But so when we were at that this comic book thing, we were leaving and Roddy Piper actually physically walked by us and it sadly yeah. like was within six months he passed away. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. I was like, Hey look, it's Roddy Piper and he's and he was going, they were ushering him in to go sit at the table and there was a huge queue to see him. So you just think of these people who I mean, like, you know, Robert England, it's like, if your shit is Freddy Krueger, you know, you're, you're probably going to that convention to see them. Oh, yeah. You know, and then, it's, you know, it's like a, a guy like that who's going to have to stay and, like, hopefully, you know, he'll see, see everybody. That's also reverse. It's daunting when sure. you've got a line at the door. You yeah. know, they want your autograph pictures. Everybody wants time with you. Everybody wants to talk to you. And you got to try to, like, you know, yeah, I think a lot of the there. big ones they end up doing just time block you know blocks of time yeah some of the other people end up sitting there like all day yeah um when i was in pasadena monster palooza last year uh linda blair was there but they kind of had it as science they would line everybody up and then linda blair would come and sign for x amount of time yeah and then leave and then they'd line everybody up again <laughs> that's what i did when i went to the when we went to the star trek missions that was how it was there when they were doing for photos they kind of lined you up like they herded you like cattle where yeah, yeah. you don't even say anything like uh we got a picture and you know you just they just they just walk you right through you're in, you can't even see where they're doing the pictures because they have it all like blacked off with duvetine you go through you step in and then you leave yeah, don't yeah. make eye contact you know so um so he writes this script, which you and says that he uh, the original concept with um, yeah Craven writes original his his based on a story by uh, Craven and Wagner they rewrite Frank Darbon and uh, Russell come in rewrite it and Russell ends up directing it and that's probably because New Line thinks uh, there's a lot to go into with his original idea but it's a little more it's it's a lot darker it's a lot more vulgar maybe with violence and yeah. language it deals with it at the time I remember especially in the 80s you had like Ozzy coming under fire for Ozzy Osbourne for his suicide solution mm-hmm. and you know a lot of at the, in the 80s it was a lot of like people were worried about the music influencing kids and then there was a lot of the drugs were coming hold coming into town for like a lot of like white America so you have a lot yeah, of suicide well you have, and, yeah you have you know, like Nancy Reagan's war on drugs is in the 80s you write suicide just say no yeah yeah the just say no campaign and uh, suicide is becoming a bit of a thing and as a subject matter very taboo at the time I, I think it's just because the popular culture is being brought to people's attention because you look back to like the 50s and the juvenile delinquency I'm sure there was a lot of this has always happened but like it's like nowadays with stuff I think it was because people are seeing it on the news and then Nancy Reagan the first lady bringing the prominence like we're going to have a war against drugs yeah you know and it's much more in the spotlight. And then with the kid blaming suicide solution for, you know, or, or, you know, Ozzy's telling him to go kill the, you know, you have a lot of that stuff. Like in the, you read, you go, you, you put the music backwards and it's telling you that to yeah, worship yeah. the devil, a lot of occult people are afraid of. But suicide was kind of a, you know, in a weird way, it was kind of a thing at that time. Um, you had like Heather's, you had yeah. other movies that kind of dealt, were dealing with, uh, suicide as a subject matter. And, and self-harm was something that was, even now, is kind of taboo. People don't really talk about. But it's certainly, I think now, people are aware of it more than 30 years yeah, ago. People yeah. are like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know. So that also was something that I think the idea of suicide or people who, are, you know, who, who self-harm or people who are having psychological problems who are adolescents. Or, yeah. you know. Which plays into one of the, I think, one of the influences of this movie and on Craven is that... 
at that time period, you would have advertisements. Well, well, you much like you, you know do commercials today. Yeah. or like you know uh, on the bus or whatever. You'd have these things where you know are your children having issues? You know, are their grades going down? Or they have drug issues? They have trouble sleeping? Yeah, you're fighting suicidal. with you? Yeah. Like bring them to our facility and we can help. Yeah, like a Betty Floors clinic kind of a yeah. And yeah. that's what we have here. Is like the setting of this movie is one of these kind of quote-unquote institutions. Yeah. Um, See, now I looked at it without uh, reading anything first, and for me it was very much like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, especially scenes where, like, you know, they don't want to go to certain places. They're, you know, being forced to be, in, uh, to be drugged up or put sure. into, like, isolation. But um, Craven actually says that this, that uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest wasn't so much of an influence yeah. as... You know, these things you're saying, these television, you know, people starting to see commercials online like you do today. You have a drug addiction, your kids, you know, we can help. Yeah, and, and it turns uh, out, like, a lot of these places weren't that great. And, yeah. You know, we can... And I think the similarities is probably because inherently when you're talking about asylums or yeah. people being institutionalized, then you're going to have a lot of the same. That's why there are sure. parallels. And, you know, just because I am not allowed contractually to let an episode go by without mentioning 21 Jump Street. Yes. <laughs> I should add that Twenty One Jump Street is, starts in 87, 87, 88, 89. Those are like the popular years of that show. And they deal with, there's there's episodes about these kinds of places and teen suicide. And MacGyver does one too with What's-Her-Face, um, who turns out to be Blossom. She got her start oh, on MacGyver. Yeah, she's alcoholic. And she's like a rich, you know, MacGyver knows the dad and she's an alcoholic and he's trying to help her out. And she comes and she shows up in a couple episodes. Yeah. But that's become, so you, ha you have a lot of... So it's just we're, we're reinforcing the fact that... Yeah, the family issues. That this is, you know, it's not it's not just, not, you know, Dream Warriors. No. trying to, you know, it, it is a thing at this time. And Dream Warriors is, is like all movies, is kind of a product of that time period. And it's it, it, his stuff ends up being, t it, the script's a little too dark. He has a lot of kids who are different... Um, a lot of the characters are different, like, you know, African-Americans or, or white or what they can do, the stre superhuman strength, yeah. even to the point where, power. yeah, um, even John Saxon's character's um, kind of journey was different. Uh, even Freddy's birthplace is supposed to be like a, like a, like a raised ranch. Uh, and then people all over the country... Are, and it sounds like a great idea, like they're committing suicide, but and they're all... <laughs> no. That sounds like a fantastic yeah. idea. It's fabulous. I mean, the concept, we're, we're, and, the, and the only um, kind of, aside from them uh, killing themselves, the only kind of correlation is that the, the Freddy Krueger's name gets uh, bantered about, or they're making the journey to supposedly the Ray's Ranch that Freddy was birthed in, and then they're committing suicide there, or they're drawn to that place. And yeah, yeah. We see that kind of reworked here where they... One of the characters in the original uh, script makes yeah. Freddy. It's Freddy's house that's made, and they well, want to try to cure it. It's in, you mean in the actual movie? No, in the, the original movie? script. It yeah. was. It's the, the, they introduced where Freddy was birthed, and then that's the the house that's made by one of the people in the institution. Where now in the, this movie that, that gets yeah. filmed is that it's Nancy's original house. Well, I th yeah, I think it's interesting. So some yeah, of the elements are kept. You know, uh, I th it's a very interesting concept because there you do have these things where people do go to commit suicide. Mm. Um, there's that like that famous woods in like Japan, yeah, where people go there to commit suicide. There's a documentary on Netflix about the um, the Golden Gate Bridge. Golden Gate Bridge is you a know. place where people. There is there's these weird locations that become they become that 
you know, places to go. So yeah. I think that, you know, obviously that's what Craven was trying to play on. There's this interesting book. For his uh, original concept of the script. Yeah, for Craven's original concept of the script. There's this interesting book from 2000 uh, written by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell uh, called The Tipping Point, How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. And he talks about there's various different subjects that he explores, and it's how one little thing ends up causing this kind of chain reaction that leads to, well, as the title, like a big difference. And mm. one of the things that he talks about is teen suicide in a, a part of the world, uh, uh, Micronesia, which I believe, and forgive me, I believe it's a you know part of Asia. And from the 60s, after the 60s, there was this huge spike in teen suicide between, uh, specifically in men from 15 to 24. In this re- region. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody really knows why, and he explores his theories, I mean, he explores trying to figure out why, and it was simply that, and he his theory is that simply that somebody did it, you know? And just the, like, nobody really thought about doing it, and then somebody did it, and then it was like, oh, like, that's an option. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then that just led. It was like over this weird train reaction that just, like, over the last, you know, 40, 50 years, it's just, it's been like suicide in that area has just been growing more and more and more. Whereas pre 60, it was extremely rare that somebody would do that in that area. Um, And so I I find the idea of uh, Craven's original, you know, concept and that you have these locations where people go to commit suicide. It's all a really interesting thing. Just how things, how, how people are influenced to do that, you know, it, it, there's something has to happen. And his idea was, well, what if people are going to the specific area to because they're being brought there by Freddie? Yeah. You know, he's trying to kind of put a, uh, a reason for it there. Um, it, it, none of that pertains to the actual movie that we have right now, no. but, <laughs> well, but it has I, a lot but, of, but it's a very, it, I, it's a topic that I find absolutely fascinating. How just, like one person doing something could cause this train reaction, and and like you know, obviously those like those those woods in Japan or wherever. Um, she just made a movie out that wasn't that yeah. bad—a horror movie. At, like somebody had to do that, yeah, and then somebody had to hear about that, and then decide that that's what they were going to do too, and then somebody heard about that. Oh, that well, two people did that. It's just it's a very and it sadly becomes almost like yeah, a trend, like, like, it's a, a, like it an awkward a myth. Of, it's like because people, it's almost like you're breaking the social norm. Like it's not maybe a lot of those countries. You take a country like Japan, where it's a lot of like tradition and family pride, and you know honor, honor. You would never think that maybe something as drastic as suicide, but then if you see someone actually step out and do that. And yeah. oh, you know, then maybe it's it's not so much. Sadly, they don't think it's going to be a mark yeah. on their family. They don't care. They're at yeah. that point. You I know, for the Golden Gate yeah. Bridge, like yeah. what a wacky idea. But the fact that like, more people in America you know, commit suicide by jumping off that bridge. Than yeah, and I, don't, I forget the name of the documentary, but it's on Netflix. And uh, I mean, even the GW Bridge. I had a friend of mine that I work with who jumped off the GW Bridge and committed suicide. Sadly, and it's just it's these things where, or like my father. Worked for the Metro North Railroad for the train for 40 years. And, you know, he knew a lot of guys who hit people because they, and that's, you know, I've gotten into conversations with people who understand mental illness. And some people say, well, when you're at that point, you're not thinking about anything yeah. except that. And, and then me, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to be like, it's like, I mean, I don't want to sound in any way like 
uh, emotionless about it, but like, like Dirty Harry says in that sign, he's like, you know, the, he encounters the guy in the, in the park and he goes, you know, if you're a vice, I'll kill myself. And Dirty Harry's like, well, just do it at home. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like, I, I, f- I find that so horrible that you'd involve somebody else, you know, and then because people like say who hit somebody, yeah. they may never be able to work again. You know, they, that, yeah. you know, or you jump off a building yeah, and, and then land on somebody. Yeah. Or, or in front of somebody or yeah, you, it's some, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's, it's one thing if you're, you know, if you're doing it, like you're jumping off a bridge, you may not trouble anybody except traffic, but well, you know, you I know, mean, not to get completely fucking completely off topic, but I mean, that's, I think that's a lot of, I think people have that outlook on these recent like mass shootings. Like it used to be, you just sit in your house and do it. But now like if you can, you can get news coverage by going someplace shooting up a place and yeah. then killing yourself like you become immortal yeah and that's what that's and that's an argument that i've certainly seen in my job where it's like you know people don't certain there's certain people who subscribe to the belief of not publicizing the people's names or who they were because sadly some people who, who are mentally ill in this world and and have the capacity to do that feel like they want to do that because of the notoriety yeah. they're going to take themselves out anyway so they feel like they maybe might get a name make a name for themselves in this world by doing something as horrific as that so then you know do you cover that do you do you show that news because it could maybe copycats like look, look at columbine so it's it's a real sure. dicey you know subject of how do you well, do it yeah, morally it's another you know? thing that's yeah. playing into the kind of thing that we're talking about where this like you know like we said with the, this book the tipping point yeah how something little this one event can spark multiple events of that nature um as far as the movie goes uh you know we s- and, and then so in in his original script all the people who s- end up at this uh psychi- psychiatric facility are people who maybe have tried to commit suicide but weren't able to and or stopped or yeah. didn't follow through and then that's why they all get landed there and uh what's it? lieutenant donald Th- uh, thompson who is saxon's character he his character was very different he believed he knew uh, Kruger was alive and real, and he is the one who, at the end of the of the original script that didn't get filmed, is he's the one who cuts his eyes open, John Saxon, his eyelids out, huh. so he wouldn't go to sleep, yeah. which is something that they it's, do it's mentioned. Yeah, somebody in, you in the in the story of the movie. Yeah, somebody who died right in the facility, maybe yeah. like a couple weeks prior to that, and um, so there's a lot of great elements um, that, uh, and also the novelization by Jeffrey Cooper. I guess some of this. Uh, what is it? The Nightmares on Elm Street, parts one, two, and three, the continuing story from 1987. So they must have did a novelization on all three there's, movies. Yeah, there's a big fat one that's, it's not even that fat, but there is one that's just all, all three. So I wonder if they First somehow link movies. the stories, you know, or is it just um, like, I actually, them? I think I'm, I may own it, but yeah. I, I have, it hasn't been one that I've gotten around to reading yet. And I think I've been reluctant to read it because I've heard nothing but really awful things about like how it's written. Well, well, that novelization was based off the original uh, treatment of script that um, Craven and his co-writer had submitted in. Mm-hmm. So it didn't get the rewriter polishes. So it's they say it's marked marked differently, yeah, significantly different from the actual movie that was filmed because mm-hmm. it's going off where yeah. Freddie's killed by Nancy using his own glove, not by hot water. It's all there's all yeah. a lot of stuff that. We see that we're talking about here. There's no talk of Kruger's mother having been a nun, or um, Freddie being the bastard son of a hundred maniacs. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know those you know, are some of those motifs that were kind of, of talking of legend. Of, you know the things that become significant canon. You know, yeah, uh, the idea of uh, his mother was 
worked at an institution and was accidentally locked in like the fucking crazy ward <laughs> over for, like bank holiday like, weekend, like a holiday weekend. <laughs> yeah. And she was raped repeatedly by yeah, hundreds of times. So she, and I said to you before this, I have a memory of seats since I don't know the movies. Well, I thought there was a, that was dramatized in this movie because yeah. I have a memory of being over my friend, Marvin Jones's house, who I used to watch all my horror with in the early nineties and us seeing there's like a, like a wide shot of like a woman going into like a big, you know, like crazy looking room that looks like it's like, you know, there's no windows and then she gets locked in with like a crowd of, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I hate, you know, even like the, the Chevy Chase joke that we were talking about earlier. Like I hate speculating because then I feel like when yeah, we're we, wrong, yeah, when we we're don't wrong, know we sound like assholes. But, but, no, I, but I, believe, know, I believe that's five. Yeah. Uh, the fifth one. There's just so many Where movies. they dramatize that, but... Um, you know, unfortunately, there's just not enough time to, for us to watch the entire series yeah. so that we can do this one. <laughs> but this if we somehow are able to monetize this and we turn this into like some sort <laughs> yeah. of like, you know, this becomes our, re- our regular job, we'd love to yeah. be able to if do we that backstory. Live off what we make on this show, yeah, which then we right would, now is zero. Yeah, we'd be able to. Uh, then we could dedicate all our entire time yeah. to doing it. Maybe this becomes um, our day job. But I believe that's five, the dream child. So he I'm ends up writing a script that turns into eventually New Nightmare. But they're saying at the time it was a little too heavy. It was a little too assaulteric. It was a little more bold. It was a little, like the concepts were a little weird. And they thought it wasn't the, it wasn't the script. They liked the was script where they felt it needed work. Yeah. And so that's why they brought in Darabont and Russell. And they didn't give Craven the time or the option to, to try to do that work, or he said, no, this is what I yeah, want to do? I don't, that I don't yeah. know. So I mean, he gets an executive producer credit on the movie, but who knows yeah. what that means. I heard he didn't... <laughs> people told me that, like, you know, he... Uh, <laughs> He didn't know until they've already reworked it that they had done another draft without him knowing. I mean, that's a lot of we talk about it all the time where you can write a script and they'll, you know, they'll completely. Oh, writers are the bottom you know, of the yeah. food chain. But then you get blamed for everything. It's like yeah, you know, you get, you get blamed because your problems. name's on it. And, but, it but, but you know, and that's that's a hard reality for all those people who like you know you write a script and your idea is to sell a script and you sell the script and you think you've made it, but then it may never get released. It or, may never get released, or they will they will massacre the crap out yeah, of it and then you, put somebody else's name on it or not put your name on it, it gets released and you get blamed. Yeah, yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it's all the... Uh, the nature that's of the, the Hollywood life. <laughs> but we find this group of kids that have... Uh, ha- all have... They each have their own issues yeah. in this institution. And we bring back the character of Nancy Thompson, yeah. played by Heather Loggenkamp, who was our heroine from the first film. Yeah. She's a graduate student who, in psychology, working specifically uh, on uh, sleep disorders. Yeah. And stuff, and so she's being brought on as some kind of assistant or something to do with uh, Doctor Neil Gordon, who is in some ways uh, one of the protagonists of this movie. I always think that this guy's like a poor man's Bill Maher, or maybe Bill Maher is a poor man's Craig Wasson. Yeah, because he because <laughs> right around this time he did Body Double, he so did, he did Body Double, and that's yeah. a you know I, I'm certainly a fan of that movie, and a lot of the parts that were I guess ended up being homages on purpose. I was like, oh look, this is like almost an homage to Body Double, and it yeah. kind of is because that's really all I know him in is Body Double, and then this movie, and I think there's something else I'm forgetting, but I don't think he. I mean, I assume he's still alive. I'm sure alive. he's in other stuff. But yeah, but not that I... The only things he had like a little really running streak there. Yeah. Um, what's her name there? Uh, uh, Logging Camp. Um, 
to me, she's kind of weak in this movie. She's she's kind of like I, I don't remember her being. I remember her being completely fine in the first one, but then well, in this one, it's like she's kind of struggling. And I, you know, we don't like to be negative. Yeah. in this show, and uh, this is not the place for negativity. But you take that God, negative, you leave it at the door. <laughs> <laughs> you come in here, you check that thing. Yeah, um, your baggage, your emotional baggage. But I, sad to say, Heather Lockingham is not the best actress but is it ever. only in this movie or? i don't think she's great and the personally i don't think she's great in the first one but she's it's passable you know none of them are that but may, i i guess one. maybe the plot doesn't revolve she, as much around her as a point of like her giving like exposition through dialogue where she's just running away and being a like a torture teen um, in the first one you know she, she was in several episodes of growing pains and then she was one of the, the show me that on, on the one of part of the ensemble of the uh, just the ten of us spinoff. Oh yeah, okay. Of Growing Pains. Yeah, um, and she's completely passable there. And oddly enough, there's this, and we think we posted a picture of it on our site a long time ago when we did the Batman cast. But there was like this catalog or pamphlet of Batman merchandise. Oh yeah, and she's wearing the jacket. And she, you know, she's wearing the biker like, the bike. She's wearing on the bicycle with like the, bike. the speedos. <laughs> yeah, she's wearing like the speedo pants. Looking so back at you. Apparently, she did some modeling at some point. Um, she was contracted under Warner Brothers. Yeah, uh, go put this on. And, we'll and I like Heather Lightcam just fine. Yeah, but yeah. I agree. I mean, she doesn't deliver the strongest performance. Uh, yeah. In a even in a horror movie, in this particular movie. And then the only other thing I had with this was just um, certain at the beginning scenes. Chuck Russell, some of the the the, the shot composition seems kind of amateurish. But you compare that with the opus of the movie. There's a lot going on. So yeah. it just sometimes it feels like. It doesn't kind of match up because there's a lot of other great things happening in this. So it's kind of disconjointed for me where it's not at all bad. Yeah, well, you but then there's certain doing scenes. Second unit yeah, maybe and like the scene with I think the first scene where where for me was where I had an example. Of this is when the doctor goes out with Nancy and they're talking like on the park bench. Some yeah. of the two shots and wide shots are kind of like, like to me like student filmy. Yeah, you know. But then everything else in the movie, I didn't really feel like, especially the. All the, the not CGI, the practical effects you get into. Those, those things are quite impressive. Well, like we talked on our last episode about Masters of the Universe and kind of the problems that the director was having with the studio and, and time constraints and budget and all that stuff. And this movie is also kind of notorious for that. Russell fought constantly with New Line. Um, he was always behind schedule. And... Uh, it, I think a lot of it stemmed to, with uh, stemmed from the fact that this was a, a giant effects movie. Yeah, and a beautifully done, uh, executed effects movie. I think. Yeah, I think the effects in this movie are really great, especially if you put it in the context of 1987. On not a huge budget. Yeah, um, like 4.5 million or something. Yeah, so you know a lot. Here's the thing, you know, we all we, we which talk, is the same budget maybe for. No, that wasn't. We talk about CGI, and and I always argue like if CG, you know, the argument for CGI is that it's you know maybe it's cheaper, but then you look at the credits of a movie, and there's like a million people that worked on it. That can't it can't be cheaper. And I think maybe this a movie like this is kind of a perfect example of why producers and studios want to go the route of CGI because the difficulties that this movie had were all stemmed from the fact that that these practical effects take a lot of time mm. and you get long days you're paying union workers and then you know notoriously russell or reportedly i should say was not really that great of a director for the actors and i don't think it was so much that he was 
um, you know, doesn't know how to walk, work with actors or talk to people or whatever. I think it had to do with the fact that the actual story and the rest of the what was going on in this movie and the performances were probably second yeah. in, in, in priority to these massive effects that he Which was is trying to pull off. A theme we see like in other podcasts, like the black hole, where like, you know, you have that, that they're so kind of worried about yeah. one part of the, the story or the, the project that you kind of other things kind of languish or so fall scene, behind. Yeah, so a scene like you're talking about, like, which is just a simple dialogue scene. Yeah, probably, probably like, all right, we got 15 minutes. Let's to go do this. this. Yeah, <laughs> we, we don't even need Just to put it right here. Yeah. We don't need to do any safeties. <laughs> I, I don't know that for a fact, but I can totally see yeah, that of as course. being... Being one of the one of the issues, and then he he had an issue. This is Patricia Car- uh, Patricia Car- Ar- Arquette's Arquette. first first movie, and um, then he have they had they had kind of like they they maybe uh, uh, you know hit heads a little bit maybe that because uh, they say that like the first day on set hurt it was notorious that she had like it took her like fifty three takes or fifty two takes to get like the first you know her first scene done. Yeah, but you know that is also I think goes along with the fact that. There were so many other things being done that day. She was there all day. They didn't even get to her yeah. until late in the day. By the time they got to her, I mean she's just a kid in her first movie. By the time they got to her, like she all this, you know, she was probably nervous and she had forgotten her lines because she was prepared at nine o'clock in the morning and they didn't get to her until midnight or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever. And uh, and you know, after a long day, Chuck Russell's not probably. Uh, under the gun has a lot of pressure on him and is probably n- not in a very patient state of mind. I mean, it's a weird kind of cluster of things uh, that go into these kinds of things. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that. He should not be patient with her and, and, you know, short shrift her performance or, or whatever, or be whatever the butting of the heads is that you're talking about. I don't agree with that, but I can certainly see, that in the whirlwind of things that a director is trying to deal with on a movie like this, that some things fall through the cracks and it's unfortunate, but yeah, I don't think he was, I guess it's just some of the actor's performances because he's, he's, yeah. he's more worried about other things. Yeah. At this point. yeah. He just, uh, apparently, you know, he just didn't, there was a lot of friction, which, you know, I guess is a way to put it between him and I think more than just, Patricia Arquette. Yeah. And I, I think the fact that it's her first thing is probably has a lot to do with it. You know, when you, when you hire somebody for a first picture, I mean, and then and, and, and essentially the lead part in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, you have to, you have to be patient and, and be willing to work with them in a way that I guess maybe he didn't feel like he had the time to. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's all speculation. But it's unfortunate you when you hear things about like the kind of drama that goes on behind yeah. these kinds of movies. But it ends up being kind of a cult classic. And when you look at the bigger picture, like the effects are more important to a movie yeah. like this than it's make or break kind of. Yeah, and when she was um, not to take away from any of her uh, talents, that she she really impressed the crew and. Uh, uh, everybody was like, I think she looks gorgeous as hell in this movie. I've had a big Patricia Arquette f- uh, crush for years, and um, they talk about like all the guys on set wanted to ask her out, and Robert yeah. England. She was like, they were like everyone was oh, asking well, Robert England like getting his advice. Yeah, like all the all the actors and, that's, and the ensemble that had crushes on her and stuff. And we're trying to get Robert England like, what do you think I should do? Well, go over there. <laughs> 
in, in Freddie makeup. And uh, in Robert England is back. Like we said, he's, he's this is his third, as of now, I guess his third role as Freddie. I don't know if he did anything like TV-wise or like we said, any appearances, because this is before the TV show. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so you have you have these the all these kind of things coming together where you, you take the script and the script is it seems like for budgetary reasons they have a lot the the, the script that they ended up rewriting off of uh, Craven's script was like a script that they said like was looking to have like a like a twenty million dollar budget or something and they you know for the effects they wanted or the stuff so then to try to like bring that down to actually realistically to be able to to comparable to to, to visualize and imagine all that stuff on practically on a set it got yeah. tough especially with all these you know nowadays you don't you wouldn't do any of this but all the practical like the 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 freddy the crew i mean these are and also these are very legendary now in in the freddy krueger universe the, you know the the freddy krueger snake you know yeah. and then you know the uh the tv you know him on oh, the yeah. tv oh yeah i mean like the death you know, all those stuff you know, in these movies are among the most iconic scenes yeah. of this of the of the entire series, I have a bigger version to like um, certain aspects of how they're presented with like uh, body gore. So like, there's a short Stephen King story that's in maybe Night Shift, and the cover of one of the editions of Night Shift is like the guy's hand, the palm, and there's an eye in the palm. Uh-huh. So for me, always growing up, I think I saw like. Jaws, which is, which is a big thing in the Gate, the movie The Gate, yeah, which so is a the, personal favorite of mine. Yeah, yeah. In the palm and I haven't, man. I haven't seen The Gate in probably oh God, how I many love years. That movie so much. You know, maybe we could do that for Halloween this year um, or, or October, I should say. And the, for some reason, like I think I saw like Jaws two when I was little or something, and then like the I don't know what happened, the woman getting burned alive, and 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 then like getting those bags when you're little, like the grape bags with the holes in them. They always to me like look like like little mouse, and they like, kind of freak <laughs> me out. Yeah. So you 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 come to this movie where it's like the scene with like. Like uh, the her, you know, when Freddie kills the girl with the injections yeah, and like her the big anti-drug statement yeah, in the movie, <laughs> and her wounds are like, like you know, moving that 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 yeah. completely like repulsed me. Her and character in the movie is a, one of the girls is, a, is one of the girls that she's a recovering drug addict in the movie, and so her. The beautiful thing, I think, you know, it's another thing that, and also she self harms because you find out you think she's self harming. You know, I mean, not for the regular reason, but you think it's the reason. It's much. It's kind of like more the reason that you found that like the Teamsters used to like keep a lit cigarette always while they're driving because if they fell asleep, it would the cigarette would burn their hand and wake them up. Yeah, yeah. And she's using the cigarette. She's putting it out on herself well, to keep her that's awake. The bl- blonde does that while she's watching. Oh, okay. TV. I'm thinking it was that. That was her. That ends. Oh no, because she gets killed with the television set. Yeah, right. yeah. The girl yeah, this watching woman, television burns herself with the cigarette. This uh, one's an ex. Yeah, she's a she's a heroin or uh, needle. Yeah, the 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 recovering drug a- drug addict character is uh, Taryn White, uh, played by Jennifer Rubin, who was actually at the Monster Palooza that I went to last year. Um, I didn't meet or anything but she seemed really nice i mean because she was trying to get meet you but you're like i'm too busy <laughs> sorry I, yeah i got books to sign i got no time for this yeah i gotta go um, meet Lance hendrickson and hang out with him but uh the, it goes that goes into i think one of the other great things about this movie and and what starts we like we said this starts to set the tone is that freddie's in their subconscious you know like He's part of their subconscious mind in a way. So he's going to know things about them that nobody else knows. Yeah. And so, which I don't think is so much the case in execution of in the first two, which is he's playing on their fears. 
in this one in a way that I don't recall being the case in the first two movies. Now, how is he um, done away with in the second one? I mean, I remember the whole climax is around like a pool, pool party. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then, so I forget how they kind of, you know, dispel him. The second one is confusing. Um, Freddy's out in real life at this middle of this pool party, which is thought of as being kind of a crazy notion because he's supposed to be in your dreams. I mean, Nancy brings in the first one, Nancy, how they kill Freddy in the first one is that Nancy brings him out of her dream. Yeah. Uh, pulls her out of her dream when she wakes up. Um, I don't recall how he dies in the end of the second one. I know it has a lot to do with that. Uh, the kid is kind of, in a way, the question is, is he possessed by Freddy? Like Freddy's trying is he to, gay or is he not gay? Well, yeah, but he's, you know, in terms of the concept of the actual, in the actual narrative, is yeah. that he's, Freddy's trying to be birthed, like, through him. Yeah. Um, and there's a spectacular effect scene in that movie where Freddy actually does kind of come come out of him. Uh, but so there's this, using the, the main character as kind of this conduit that isn't, in any of the other ones. So how Freddy actually dies in the second one, I don't recall, unfortunately. But I know it's, conceptually, it's it's the unique one of the series, of yeah. how Freddy works. It's kind of not, doesn't follow the same rules as the rest of the series. Um, so he's back in this one, and he's, and he's, and he's you know, stronger than ever. We don't have to, <laughs> there's no exposition yeah, of how no, he's... Yeah, no, like, he got struck by lightning. Yeah, there's no, he didn't wake up, or he, you know, someone... It's that uh, this group of kids are the last of the Elm Street kids. Yeah, we learned know? that out through the movie, that they're, la- they're, they're the last of the Elm Street Street crew. Children. So yeah. we, we presumably their parents may have also been in on uh, the murder. The murder. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much... So he's basically haunting you know, them because of the sins of their parents. Yeah. So. Which is, there's a lot of great things about that movie, about, about the series in general in this movie. This idea of... Uh, the kids being punished for the sins of the parents, um, you know, which I think ties into the we see in the beginning of the movie that Patricia Arquette's character has a bit of a, a weird, estranged, odd relationship with her mom, and her mom presumably is promiscuous in in a way, and uh, and I think it's easy to maybe maybe not easy, but at least me kind of read into if we take the notion that these are the last of the Elm Street kids, that this mother is maybe suffering from also some kind of guilt. You know, we see that happening with John Saxon, that maybe she's in, she was also one of these parents and uh, has caused uh, odd problems. And her father had gone away. Uh, Uh, Patricia Arquette's father just went away. uh, Yeah, they got separated and Apparently she had this very great relationship with her dad, but now her dad doesn't like. It seems like she hasn't talked to her dad since he left. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> like he just up and left. I mean, maybe it was this murder of, of Frederick Krueger that kind of tore this family apart. We don't know. It's speculation, which in a way is kind of great. You can either look into it that if you want to as a viewer, and I'm sure a lot of viewers don't even give it a second thought, but it's there if you want to kind of examine it. And I think the other great thing about the series in general, and I think something I love about horror movies in general, we see it in Fright Night, I guess in a lot of Tom Holland movies, Child's Play, this idea of like that the kids know something that the the adults don't. Or that in, in the case of Fright Night and Child's Play, it's that the kids know something and the parents just don't believe them. Yeah. Um, which is like horrific. I mean, I, 
the people that are supposed to protect you as a child would they just when they just flat out like just don't believe you and oh they laugh you off they, and they dismiss don't, it just yeah. completely dismiss it's like, it mom I'm telling you there's a kid living in the clothes rack we gotta get the, we gotta save that kid in the clothes rack you're being silly mom there's a doorway into the clothes that's a plot right there we're gonna we're gonna trademark that 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 yeah, kids disappearing in eighties in clothes racks because they're going to another dimension and it turns into like little monsters. That there, uh, but it's a very it's a big part of this movie because well, you find that in a lot of horror, like you're well, saying, yeah, you know, yeah. like the, you it's don't a, you don't listen to the kid like Invaders from Mars, you know, you, the, the kid saying, hey, something landed across the way, and then that gets into like the serious topic where you can't even trust your parents because they're taken over by like yeah, aliens. Yeah, and, but this this idea of that the people trying to protect that are are there to protect you don't believe that there's anything wrong and in this particular like, movie it's like it's because what's happening to them kind of defies science yeah or what they think of science is so we have doctors well you have that that don't you know doctors who are definitely someone that you go to their authorities they are their only existence doctors only exist to take care of you yeah you know <laughs> you have that doctor in it um i think her name is dr elizabeth sims maybe played by priscilla pointer who comes off to me very much like nurse ratchet from one yeah. of the cuckoo's nest even t- with a look and you have the two segments of thought there where you have um uh what's his face craig wasson yeah the actor yeah his dr neil gordon he's coming at this uh their ailments kind of like with a new kind of experimental approach where her aspect but even is more he doesn't believe them yeah the but at least it, t- he, it takes nancy yeah his arc is her. kind of yeah he but he's in a way you're right he's kind of the main character and that he is the only character that has you know that has a need and a want and a change he doesn't need too much convincing of nancy he doesn't like he doesn't need to be like slapped in the face and like you know yeah. where she the the other woman uh dr elizabeth um Sims, she kind of looks, she's like more like the Frederick Wortham, like the psychiatrist, like a Freud, where this is poppycock, what they're saying. It, you can explain this away by science. She's probably very, you know, Darwin, there's no God. You know, it's like, yeah, this is, yeah. it's all, you can explain it all. And yeah, she yeah. won't, even at the point when, when he's like, we have to at least try to get them, you know, he justifies why he wants to um, prescribe out this there's experimental this drug. specific drug that uh, is a made-up drug that Nancy, he finds in Nancy's purse because it gets dropped and he looks up what it does and it basically it allows you to sleep but suppresses the part of the brain that dreams, I yeah. guess. So that you can get you can sleep but not dream and Nancy takes it obviously because she's still haunted by the fact that uh, Freddy stuff and this this drug and this institution is a recurring thing throughout the series that they're both in... Um, Freddy versus Jason, yeah. and maybe five. One of the other ones also deals with the, the drug. Same. And so it becomes yeah. this the, the drug, and this thing is another thing that kind of becomes canon for the series yeah. and the institution. And she, the, the the older woman, can't understand why. And he's the point. Like you know, a lot of these. The, for the reason you find out for the movie that since they don't want to go to sleep, they're they're going crazy because they're up. They can't hit REM sleep. They're not recharging yeah. themselves. So. He's trying to make the case of, hey, like let's let them sleep to rest, but then they won't have to worry about this fear that they're worried about. And uh, you see a lot of that come out, like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to keep uh, comparing the two, but like you see from one for the cuckoo's nest when they're like in group, yeah. and they're, you know they all start, you know, and she. And it's it's funny you look at nowadays with people who have emotional problems, and you look at like how you're supposed to treat somebody with that you know has issues. And this woman to me is completely going, you know, she's like, you're stupid, you know. <laughs> 
we're not going to have any more talk of that. We're going to just do this. Medication for everybody. You know, it's just like she, she's so close-minded to like, yeah, yeah. to like to, even if they're saying they're seeing like pink elephants, she's like, you're, you're full of shit. You know, you, yeah, yeah. of course you're not saying you should just go to sleep and have some like value. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't see her as so much of a, I don't know, as a, as an enemy. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Um, I mean, it's clearly the, the the Neil Gordon, Dr. Neil Gordon character. He's younger, maybe more open-minded. You certainly get the sense that he wants what's best for... Like, he's really there to help. Yeah. You get this... And I got the sense that this other doctor, the, the older woman character, she... Obviously, I think she wants to help, but I think she's just been in this institution for so long. Oh, yeah. She's, she's a little desensitized jaded. She understands, yeah. you know, she just she just doesn't, she thinks what's best for them is just maybe not what's actually best for them. I don't see her so much as being, you know. She's not, no, she's like not. an antagonist, but yeah. more of just, I mean, you could probably. just a little too close-minded for yeah, you what could, the kids need. You could probably argue that, like, um, Nurse Ratchet was maybe yeah, getting so. some sort of a, some sort of, like, sick, kind of pleasure out of denying them. I think you can maybe make the argument for a nurse ratchet, but this woman, I agree with you. I don't think she's doing it for any kind of sadistic pleasure that she may not even know about. I think you're right. She's more just stuck in her ways of being, I think, in the institutional system. And these are the true and proven ways that it says in your... You know your 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 psychology books, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and your PDR is growing up, and this is how you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to dose them up, and you're supposed to talk to them about, you know, and so she to me seems like the old regime. She's like, you know, the change. It's yeah. it's hard for her to come around, and you see that in a lot of medical circles, you know, and, and even you know with experimental treatments for people who have bipolar disorder or depression or manic depression. So he certainly, like you said, he it, his character um, Gordon seems to be uh, uh, a lot more open-minded. And it doesn't take a lot of convincing through Nancy. Nancy's just like, this is what you got to do, man. You know, <laughs> you got to you gotta give them, dose them all up in this. And then, like, all the characters, the kids are really fun. Like, I, you know, I, I think they're all very cool. They're, they're, all, they're, they're all unique. They all represent different segments of society. Um, you, know, like, you know, I love the black kid in it. Like, you know, and the lines he's, he's saying, like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> all that yeah, kind of yeah. shit. Well, I love the black kid because... When you read like the descriptions in the original script of of the characters, he's definitely supposed to. It's like he's in the original script. He's supposed to be a certain character. Yeah, and, and they change the, him. And the way he's in the movie is like he's a guy that wants to be the character that he's described as in that original. He's the he's thought of as being like this in the original script. He's this big, muscly, tough guy, but in this movie, he's he's kind of not. And I love that because no, it yeah. adds this depth to him because you think like that's how that's what he wants to be, even though that's not really who he is. He has this of wherever he's he like grew this up, kind tough. of like pudgy, you know, black kid who definitely has like a hard edge. But you think, but to me, it's like it. It was a much more interesting. I, mean, I don't think he's. I think he's he's not like fat. I think no, he's like, but he's not in shape. No, he's not. He's know. not he's defined. Not like a muscle bound guy. You know, he's certainly like a bigger kind of a guy. I think he just is, is, he comes from a hard neighborhood, so you have to have that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then it's funny to see him bring that into this setting. But lines when they're like, you know, they're talking about, you know, you got to be tough and he's going to be the last, you know, he's going to be the last one out of all of them because he's, because you got to be tough. And it's like, to me, it's more of, uh, I've, to me, that read more of like, you know, like you, Thinking of yourself as a tough guy, or or uh, aspiring to be that, 
and not fully believing it. Yeah. Which to me was much more interesting than just having like this big jacked, like tough black guy be like, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna kill Freddy, and I'm gonna be the last one." This is like a kid who, to me, had doubt. Yeah. But put up a front. Yeah. And to me, it's, it's, just, it, much it more adds a lot more depth, especially to, in that situation. Yeah. It's yeah. much more real. You I know? Just, it, it, re- it rang more true to me, and I, and um, so yeah, we have him. We have. Uh, the girl who's a recovering drug addict. Um, is she the one that's solicited by the one of the... Jeez, yeah. the orderlies in these movies are terrible. <laughs> Remember oh, the, Terminator 2? Oh, Larry Fishburne's a good guy. Oh, Larry Fishburne's great. He's kind of cruising through, and it's like he's just doing it. Through the entire movie, he's just strutting. He's like, it's, it's so funny when they're probably like, go Larry. He's just like... <laughs> go Larry. Go, go Larry. Larry. It's a little throwback to uh, <laughs> Live on Planet Groove, Maceo Parker, for all those music fans out there. But Larry, yeah, when they... Q Larry, go Larry. He walks out and he's just like, he's like, Groove, what's up, baby? What you want? You but know? you can tell Larry cares. You know? Yeah, you know? Larry he does care. to them as like, you my know? kids. And then it's one of those things where, you know, I was thinking after watching it like an hour later, I was like, wait a minute, we never got like an end kind of the last time you see Larry is where, because yeah, um, yeah. he's actually, he's not billed as Lawrence Fishburne. He's, he's billed as Larry, Larry Fishburne. Fishburne yeah, and he's got to be, Daniels. I mean, he's 13 when they did Apocalypse Now in 77, 78, 79. So he's only got to be like in his mid or to late 20s in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the last time you see him is where they he they won't, he won't let them go by him to go help the girl and uh, or the, or the kid in isolation. So it's like, you know, I wish we saw some sort of, uh, yeah. Finality of him. Maybe he's killed by Freddy, or he ends up helping them, or at least you just see like you know the goodbye. He's waving him off, like yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, it's what? funny. He in the beginning of the movie, he's, when he's talking to to Doctor Gordon, Doctor Zhivago, um, he presents a theory that maybe all these kids are a byproduct of the fact that their parents took acid. Oh yes, yes, bad yes. acid in the '60s, which is actually in kind of the rough plot of what of a movie that I particularly love from the late '70s by. Uh, a friend of mine, oddly enough, um, "Blue Sunshine" uh, by by Jeff. Uh, oh, now I can't forget, I forget his name because I just you know uh, Jeff, the guy who did um, Squirm. He did Squirm, and uh, oh, he lives up in um, yeah, in our area, Westchester. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lieberman, Jeff yes. Lieberman. Um, that's basically the idea of that movie. Is that? Like what happened? Blue sunshine. Yeah, blue sunshine takes these people took acid in the in the sixties, and now ten years later, like that acid is now affecting them in a fucking crazy way. Yeah, I love uh, I love stuff like that. There's there's movies where I love that stuff where it's like the like these idea of the subliminal. You know, there's there's mentoring candidate. There's a great Chuck Norris. uh, Charlie Bronson we call telethon where you get programmed and I love yeah. that when it's just that you know so like s- stuff of like yeah. you don't even know and it affects you later on that's you know that's actually full disclosure I've never dropped acid and that was the reason why I never dropped acid because some people say there's you know one out of a hundred there's gonna be you know when you when you come you won't come fully together and I'd be just my fucking luck <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll be that guy <laughs> I'd be that guy that like would never come back right from it you know but when Larry Fishburne is presenting that I'm like yeah that's kind of the plot to Blue Sunshine yeah Shit, motherfucker! <laughs> you know, but that's but he he's kind of onto something because at the time, people didn't know. Yeah, you know, you know every it, uh, you know people kind of so I but I think he plays a good role in this movie. And then we have the the um, like I said, the orderlies. Aside from him, the orderlies like remember Terminator Two? They're looking uh, Sarah Connor's face like those and beating her up, and there is always like abuse, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, rape, and, and look at uh, Kill Bill. You know, it's like you know so. 
I mean, I guess maybe that could be in real life. Sadly, stuff well, that you actually know, I happens. think that's another thing that's also it's a fear. I mean, these are people that are there to protect you, to help you. You know, it's it's you're it, very vulnerable. It, yeah, and in you know, arguably one of the most vulnerable states you'll ever be in. You know, yeah. so the, it's a very real fear to exploit for for drama and i'm sure it does happen you know unfortunately not to go down a rabbit hole too i find it very scary i think it's been explored quite a bit but i always find it very scary the situation where suddenly i guess like um sam neil in the mouth of madness or like i'm not insane but you're treated you're put in a ward and everybody's saying that i'm not crazy i'm not crazy i'm not crazy you know know, so it's like i'm serious i'm not you know and then you trying to explain and that's a very terrifying idea which i'm sure has been explored through horror short stories and episodic television horror or even movies where you know you wake up and you're like you know in a straight jacket and then you're talking to some you know psychiatrist and you know how they're only going to come see you once a week they're going to dose you don't want to have those meds well you're going to have the med well i don't want the med then they dose you up and it and then how do you get out of that you know and and uh, I think that's, I'm thinking there's a movie that, that Clint Eastwood movie called The Changeling. That's with Angelina Jolie. That's very good about mm-hmm. the, uh, it's about a, a, a serial killer, child killer. I think at some point they put her in an institution. I might be wrong. And they dope her up. But it's like that actually sometimes happens, especially in the yeah. old days. Yeah. You know, you look at like, you know, with people, the disabled and stuff, people will just get rid of them. And it's, it's you know. Oh, yeah. They're just, you know, or the, the, the doctor in the 50s who pioneered the full, the, the frontal orbital lobotomies yeah. with an ice pick. And, and that was like the way to go for yeah, transorbital lobotomies. I mean, there was ones where he was like, you know, he'd do two at a time. Just yeah. to, they light them up. Off. They, they, there's a great. <laughs> <laughs> Great PBS documentary on this gentleman who who did these. He they thought so much in the old days with ECT electroshock and all that the experimental. This guy was doing transorbital lobotomies where he take this device, almost looked like an ice pick, and he'd go if you um, like in your eye socket, uh, like between your eye and the in the in your actual. Uh, uh, forehead bone he'd go in there and just poke a little bit yeah. and he'd be destroying kind of your frontal lobe and that was supposedly supposed to make people docile and calm um, the Kennedys the uh, sister yeah, who was, she, she got it done and a lot of people and this guy was on the circuit for how many years and it got so renowned and it was like the revolutionary treatment that you know aside from prescribing ECT electroshock therapy people would be you know he'd come to your institution you'd line up all your patients you think are ill he'd just go through like you're saying just tick tick Trick, trick, yeah. trick, trick. And then finally they realized, no, this wasn't helping or this was lobotomizing people or this was completely making them into vegetables or people nowadays. In the documentary, you talk to people who had it done and they talk about how it fucked them up. And thankfully, they don't really do it anymore these days. But yeah. so there's all these experimental treatments. And it's scary when, you know, like I said, you, you're in a situation where you, they, nobody will listen to you. You think yeah, you're sane, yeah. you know, so it's hard to like, so these people. So. Getting back to this, rounding out the cast, you have the girl who, uh, you know, the rock and roller, who's the she 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 dreams of being a uh, an actress on television, you know. Yeah. And uh, and it's interesting. You have these people who end up, like you're saying, since Freddie's in your subconscious, they kind of end up becoming victims of whatever their their fascination is, or not fascination, but like yeah, the drugs. Sometimes you know. it's their fear. Sometimes it's their, you know, like you said, the television. Or yeah, we have the kid who's. Uh, into the puppet, the marionettes. That's another, going back to my problem with with body gore like that, that was so disturbing to me. The, the Oh, the attendance? Yeah, stuff. the attendance shots of it being out of his body. And oh, God, it was it's so freaky. Uh, that was the character of uh, Philip, played by Bradley Gray, uh, Bradley Gregg. And he's an actor that I wonder what happened to him because he was in a lot of stuff. He was in um, Explorers and he was in Stand By Me. Yeah. And I think he might have been in The Last Crusade. 
in the beginning section with River Phoenix. Uh, he was in a lot of stuff. He was on a couple episodes of My Two Dad, which I've been watching a lot recently. <laughs> UV visiting. Uh, he actually plays Giovanni Ribisi's older brother on My Two Dads. Giovanni Ribisi's in in My Two Dads. Yeah, as like a really like a real like repeating character. You know, he's in it a lot. Who is he? Like the romantic interest? Yeah, he's he's like the girl's romantic interest in the beginning. He likes her, and he's kind of like this quiet, nice guy. That's a book right there. You do a book on like. DiCaprio from Growing Pains. You sure. know, where are they now? You get, like, Boner from... Um, Growing Pains. Uh, <laughs> Growing Pains. You get Roach from Who Cosby Show. He killed died, himself. Yeah, you yeah. Walter Koenig's son. Um, you get, uh, you know, this kid, Re- Giovanni Ravisi. So you, it's, it's funny. You always see, like, the... The, the person who they, or like uh, the girl from the Cosby show they brought What's-Her-Face in, uh, who now is on The Real. Yeah, you know, yeah. I forget her name. You know, she was really young when they brought her in to replace like Rudy because Rudy was getting older, so you wanted yeah. to have. So it's, you know. It's, it's, uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because. Or the entire cast of Different Strokes with Jesus, the, the, the route they went. Well, just or like Freddy's Nightmares, for instance, that TV show that we were talking about, the one with Freddy. That is like, in the same way that 21 Jump Street was, was it was. Uh, a play like Brad Pitt's on it, and like the lead character of one of the episodes. It's like a who's who of, of Freddy's that, Nightmares. Yeah, became, yeah. Like you watch it, and you're like, oh, these are like the first. Which Brad Pitt was also on an episode of Growing Pains, but yeah, um, you know, you get to see like them like cutting their teeth on yeah on all these old all these other '80s TV shows before they ended up hitting. You get there. a lot of that with I brought up MacGyver before, but you have Jason Priestley guests in an episode of MacGyver. Jason Priestley's on two episodes of. Two, not playing the same character, just two different episodes of Twenty One. Uh, I'll, I'll up you one, and I'll say uh, <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. He's first role on MacGyver. He's a recurring role with uh, with the Thornton um, bail bondsman, who's uh, I forget who the 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 black guy who plays the bail bondsman is, but the mother who runs the agency is Della Reese. Mm-hmm. You know, but you had like I said, Blossom. You have Cuba Gooding. He's in several episodes of MacGyver. Um, Jason Priestley. And I think there's somebody else too. But it's it's always fascinating. To find like I never watched the new Nightmares. I don't, I remember it came and went this this show, yeah, yeah. Um, but I watched I watched while it was out in syndication uh, Friday the Thirteenth the series. Yeah, that scared that the shit too. out of me. You know, so, and I you know I don't remember as much seeing people on that guesting, but certainly like on Twenty One well, Jump Street. Yeah, I mean you know those kind of shows. Oriented yeah, that show. Um, we can get into that show when we get around to doing one of the Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see these kinds of things. But yeah, they they did the Freddy's Nightmares. I think they used to air that on Chiller, which was a TV cable channel uh, here. That was, I think, owned by NBC. For rear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they used to rare, uh, air those reruns a yeah. lot here. What same, you, with, same with Friday the 13th, the series. What did you think about that episode? Because for me, it was kind of, I mean, I thought it was, it really had a lot of problems, like of pacing and, and just, um, you know, like, like, I, like screwball 80s isms that would happen. But if you take the nuts and bolts of the exploration of the Freddy Krueger character, I never saw Freddy, uh, I guess I, it's me playing ignorance to the character. I always thought that, you know, I never knew that he was a child killer, but like proud of it, you know, and like, as well as like he, like, you know, like in this episode that we saw, he's dressing up as, I don't know if this is like a departure from the canon of his backstory, yeah. but he's dressing up. He already had, I thought he only made the the knives after when he comes back for revenge, but in this... No, no, because the first one opens... With him making the... Yeah, in the credits. making the knives. But see, I always took that as he was doing that, like, after his... If I recall correctly, when the mother in the... When Nancy's mother in the first one 
is explaining to Nancy what happened and who Freddie is. She, they like go on the, down into the basement, and then she reaches behind like the water heater or something. She pulls out like this burlap in the gloves thing, in it. and she unfolds it in the gloves. So he there. used the gloves as an implement because then he goes on a rampage, and he's in this episode. He's killing people left and right. And I don't know. Did you think it was Robert England actually playing the the person? Because you never get to see Freddy Krueger's face before he becomes. They they cleverly keep him in shadow half the time. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. know. But, I mean, Robert England certainly he was on the show. He was on the show. He's yeah. playing Freddy. But I mean, he, but it's very easy for him to come and do raps for one yeah, day as opposed yeah. to go do like a week long. Although, shoot. like I said, he does play significant parts in at least a lot of the episodes. Yeah, there's one episode with I think like Mariska Hargitay or something where she, uh, it has to do with people like she's having trouble sleeping and they take her to like a sleep institute and they have they put her up to something that you can see the dreams and he's in that episode wow. like he's in throughout the whole well episode. I think it's good that they that's actually pretty cool that they keep him you know because they want to keep him and I don't to watch know the show. show well enough to yeah. know if he's like that in every episode but I yeah. know that there are at least somewhere they're really their issue is Freddy Krueger yeah. in their tree <laughs> yeah yeah I just found it I didn't know he's that his his backstory was that yeah, like yeah. um you know, he's that pompous in a sense where he's like, he just gets off as in a mistrial in the beginning of this episode. And then he goes and like the same night, he's like, I'm going to go get your kids. All right. A good time. And well, I'm gonna I remember go, when they made know, the remake. He's like unapologetically. Yeah. yeah. You know, where in the remake, like the remake, I thought he was like a little more like running. He's scared. You know, he's like, a, you know, he's like in the shadows, like you think a child molester would be. Yeah. But in know? the remake, they almost played it up in the trailers. Like I remember when the remake came out, like. There was a question like, oh, is the remake going that like he's innocent and he's being wrongfully like vigilante justice on a yeah. guy who didn't actually do this? Which I like and that. That's why he's. I like that idea. That, yeah, it's you like know? a good concept. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, that didn't end up, spoiler, didn't end up being. But it certainly being is. Being the concept a of, great the, new... of the remake. But it was like, it almost made you excited for the reason yeah. to be like oh they're going to take like a different slant yeah like he's not in it because he's evil he's literally there because of he was kind of, of he's been, mistakenly yeah, and then it was like it was like revenge. it was like uh you know like a posse justice yeah. you know and then you find out like uh the oxbow incident oh you fucking hang hung the wrong people <laughs> yeah, <when> Spoiler <laughs> alert <laughs> we did like dark Night of the Scarecrow. Yeah, you know, you find out they're bad. Like, <laughs> the, literally, the minute after they shot, I'm like, where are you guys? Yeah. Oh, well, we found him. Don't worry about it. Yo, he's a hero. <laughs> he's a hero. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. Yeah, put the pitchfork. We'll just, you know, like that. But, like, that's the, that's the classic example of the Oxbow incident. Uh, that's a movie I'd love to get to. But, you know, they, they the, the vigilante justice, posse justice is not the crowd. They When, yeah, you, yeah. when you don't have the, you know, the, the whole... Uh, what do you call that? The, the, the judge, you know, the whole trial and all that, the process. Sure. You can jump the gun a little too quickly sometimes. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's something that, you know, with... So I like that, them bringing that to the remake of maybe, the, at least a question in your mind. Maybe he at was least wrongly. in the trailer, but then it ended yeah. being that way. Uh, to round out the kind of this ensemble cast of characters, we have uh, the mute kid. Yeah. Who's got sex on the brain, which especially in in those days, VL can relate to. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, With the have, nurse, hot eyes balls. Yeah, we have... Hot eyes balls. And we have the, uh, the kid who's in the wheelchair. Yeah. Who's kind of... Uh, like a his, Dungeons and Dragons. His, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Very Stranger Things. Yeah. Predating Stranger Things. He's kind of... His dream power is, is Harry Potter before Harry Potter. Um, must be a wizard. Lightning bolt. Kind of prophetic in, in, in some ways. And I yeah. think that's all the kids, right? Uh, With the puppet kids. We're not forgetting everybody. I'm thinking about the deaths. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like count them off. Yeah, and I think we got all the main characters there, and then um, and then that's basically it. And then Nancy, you know, like we said, she goes to find her father, or no, the the. Well, she gets to this thing, and and she uh, it's, she gets there right as Patricia Arquette's being brought in, and because Patricia Arquette had a thing with an experience with Freddie, where I guess in some kind of sleepwalking state she cut herself, so they thought she was being suicidal. Yeah, when in her dream Freddie was doing doing it. a tour in the bathroom, and um, and she's been suffering from this dream. She's building Nancy's old house, which is a, an aspect of this movie I don't love because. Uh, it's you you same, don't like I like that. Like it's the same house. Well, that's the thing is like I don't think Freddy revolves around this one house. Oh, but the series makes it that way because the second one is the kids move into Nancy's old house. The kids' family moves into. Well, it's all but it's Elta Elm Street. Nancy's old house, and then this one she's dreaming about Nancy's old yeah. house. It's like that's that was. Okay, it's on Elm Street, and that's but where he Nancy, didn't get killed in the basement. Yeah, it's like, I see. It wasn't like that's not where they I burned like the, him alive. But I like the idea of like, like in the boiler of the room of the basement of this house, like with Close Encounters, where it's like you know he's trying to build that mountain, he doesn't know why. I like yeah, that idea yeah. of him, you know, someone yeah, subconsciously. I, I get, you know, you know, I get that. But the fact that it's like her house is Why so is it, significant. It could be anybody's house in the block. Hey, that's not my house. That's actually the next door neighbor's. <laughs> that looks like old man Jansen's. That's Johnny Depp's house. Yeah, what's it? You know, like it doesn't need to be. That's not my house. The, uh, the fact that it's this the house, it's it's tying Freddy to the house in a way that I don't think is Yeah, you're right. With that series. aspect, yeah, because he didn't get killed in the basement. So he's not, was or like, his body isn't interred in the basement. Yeah, yeah. It's like you my know? favorite. You know, we've talked. We did an episode on Halloween two, and I love Halloween two. I love Halloween two as much as I like the first Halloween two. But I mean, the first Halloween. But the f- one thing I don't love about Halloween two is that they inter- spoiler alert they introduce this aspect that Laurie Strode is his sister. Yeah, like to me, that's one of the beautiful things about the first one is that he's just evil. Yeah, um, and then the fact that now he has motivation in some weird way. As much as I love Halloween two, like I don't love that their brother and sister this movie it's like it's it's like that for me like i like this movie a lot and i loved watching it this time around and i had a you know it's might be like one of my favorite viewing experiences we've had on the show was watching this movie really for this wow. like i really had a good time yeah there are a few things i think to me that say sleepover like sleepover movie yeah than freddy krueger yeah you know because he was such a an iconic character for our childhood yeah um whether you were a fan of the series or not he was just it was he was iconic um but yeah this idea that it's the house it's the house yeah. <laughs> get him out of the house you <laughs> you blew it all up like a maniac you did move the headstones but you didn't move the bodies what you know like it's like that's not going on in this like the poltergeist like that like it's the house is built on sacred ground like that's not happening it's just elm street yeah yeah it's it's like that's what confused me with when we watched the one-off um backstory because i didn't know if they were conflating for the tv show his legend into being you want to hate him you want these you want to justify these people who aren't doing the best acting to just now (laughs) you know uh go after him and and it's a good episode we should include it as a link you could check it out um because i don't know if it's ever up until that time was explored as thoroughly it was just always like a line here and there as backstory in the movies now when was the first time we had the appearance of the song one two Freddy's coming yeah. for you. That's in the first movie. Yeah. Okay. So because that's something that's actually uh, that was even written before Charles Bernstein came on 
the scene for the first one. Charles Bernstein wrote the score yeah. uh, for the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, but that little bit, that little nursery rhyme, was written in the script by Craven and then put to Melody, I think, by Heather Langenkamp's boyfriend at the time. Really? That one, two, yeah. three, he's coming. Because that's another thing that's very iconic. You know, it's almost up there with like if me being a Jason fan, the ch 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 J J says, you know, the, that oh sure, rhyme, as a kid we knew, yeah, it we all know, we and it's seen the movie, and it also that. it goes across a lot of lines where uh, racial or ethnic lines because there's people who may necessarily not like horror movies, or whatever, but they know this, you know, this this little rhyme. It's a very frightening line for me it's almost yeah, yeah. like the you know cinderella just in real, real you know it's like a, like a like a, one of those cautionary tale yeah. jump rope songs in fact it's so effective you know? that at bernstein who did the score for the first movie even recognized like its importance to the movie that he would then work that little melody yeah into aspects of the score even though that wasn't something that he had created for the movie yeah it's something that like i like so it's like a, a, ch a child's way of like yeah. there's a movie that i absolutely love night of the hunter and at, at the beginning of it the kids parent father's hung and then the kids in the next day are making fun of him then they're like hang hang hung see what the hangman done hang hang, hang. so i always love that yeah where children taking a they don't know how to real deal with the situation either they're they're singing a song to make fun of another kid or they're doing it as a well, cautionary yeah, I mean, it, it kind of puts it the, the cautionary thing but it becomes like this weird like urban myth yeah that's and it becomes like we're talking now where I remember growing up in the 80s, no matter who you were, you knew yeah. that. And, and you had to, it's almost like going at night up till your bed. Remember, you remember this, that urban legend where uh, people wanted to do, where it's like at, at midnight, you go into your bathroom and oh, you say like Mary, Bloody, 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 Bloody Mary, Mary three times. And, she's, yeah. and then she's going to show up behind you and she's going to, it's almost that, I think, what devolved into Candy, ca uh, candy, candy Cane, man. Candy Man. Candy Cane. Candy Cane. <laughs> I want to come over. Uh, but Candyman, where it's like, you know, and then the woman's going to show up behind you and you're going to have all these kind of cuts all over your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like these urban legends where, you know, so I well, like... Why, why we're associating, why we're talking about this is because when we introduced the, the character of Nancy in this film, Patricia Arquette's been brought in and they're trying to sedate her and she's going crazy because she's just been brought in from this experience that we talked about where she, they everybody thinks she tried to kill herself. And as she's fighting, she's got this little nursery rhymey thing in her head and she starts to recite it and Nancy walks in and finishes it because yeah. Nancy knows it. And, and I think everybody and then, else know it too because they all look at it like, what the? Yeah, but like none of the adults do. Yeah, you know? yeah. But so the, the, it's, it, 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 it forges a relationship very between early her on. and Nancy yeah. instantly because they, she knows that Nancy knows what's yeah. up. You know, it's here's an here's an adult, an authority figure that does get yeah. what we're going through. And I like also you take you don't see it a lot nowadays, but back in the old days, especially like um, studio pictures where it's like Cary Grant will come up like, "Hello, I'm Cary Grant, and I'm doing a new movie <laughs> called uh, you know Officer Operation Petticoat." And then like, let's see some scenes, yeah. you know, where they have a a, a trailer that ne not necessarily is. Uh, just just clips of the movie with like you know coming soon. Oh, sure. So there's the the great one of Hitchcock like walking you. Yeah, Hitchcock would love to do that. Very bloody. This yeah. is <laughs> yeah the murder. He came down the stairs and very blocks. I'm horrible. Blood everywhere. <laughs> Fucking terrible. Fucking <laughs> terrible. And I love with me. It's 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 a great where uh, hopefully one day we'll get to twenty thousand leagues under the sea and then the and. 
the like the commercial for that it's like uh, I think it's like Kurt Russell Kurt Russell Kurt Douglas is like I'm here to talk to you about it's also my Charlton Heston impression so I'm here to talk to you about 20,000 hey Peter and, and it cuts to like Peter oh. Lorre yeah he comes out of like this trailer he's like hello there <laughs> he's like come talk to you and he's like oh, for fuck's sake you know and he comes over and they start to uh, Captain Nemo brings me down to the Nautilus so I love that so point get to my point is in this movie you had a very iconic trailer where the trailer was, they filmed stuff for the trailer specifically, yeah. where it's the girl, um, a girl in the trailer singing this, this song, and then at the end of the trailer, I think something happens in the trailer too, like the, the, the Freddy comes out, or, or he, he uh, his, oh, his, his glove comes out of the, the, the house that was made, yeah, you yeah. know, and that's not in the, so I always dig trailers that have elements that aren't in the original movie, you know, yeah, as yeah. opposed to like a, just a deleted scene. Sure. Yeah. It actually was shot for the trailer. And that's an example here where you have that, or like we said, the, the marketing of the video, the yeah. music video, uh, uh, Dolkin. Dokken. 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 You know, which was considered heavy metal back then, which is a very glam rock. <laughs> and what's the deal with Dokken? They had a song that was in the original theatrical cut, but then when it was released on VHS, New Line put another song over it. Because maybe it was a copyright infringement, they they inserted their their um their uh their own song for a movie, and then when it was re released on DVD, they reinserted the Dokken song in. Do you know this? What I'm talking yeah, about? I don't know about the the history of the Dokken song, other than the, that I know that they did a song for the movie. There's a track "Quiet Cool" by Jay Ferguson from the New Line film "Quiet Cool" in 1986, and they replaced Dokken's "Into the Fire" on the VHS, which is the film the song at the beginning. Yeah. So I guess. Maybe it's a copyright infringement, or maybe they only had a right to it. So then, which happens, like we talk about in episodic television, right? Yeah, Don't you yeah. say that, like, they'll change the soundtrack or they'll take, like, a popular yeah, song out? Yeah, that was notorious for, like, Wonder Years. Yeah. Changed a lot of the music. They could even use the Joe Cocker version of yeah. the, the, you know, little help, little help from my friends. Because people don't uh, ever think about 21 this. Jump Street. Yeah. You know, they, back in the day, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't, you know, I know that Miami Vice is on a lot and nowadays on the Yeah, they, they some of that stuff has changed. You're right. Yeah, a lot like of, they, there's just, so much popular song on Miami Vice. Yeah. They don't that, have the rights. Yeah. Nobody thought of syndication or, Syn- or where you know, it would go or the kind of syndication yeah. or home video and stuff the way you know we think about it now and that so. that that becomes an issue with a lot of times properties where that was the biggest issue say for batman 66 where like they couldn't release for so long because so many famous people were in it you had to talk to so many estates to get the rights and then that's an issue with like a lot of times releasing these old shows where people would come on and sing a song they don't have the rights, so that's why the show won't, you know, like a variety show. So that's why. Sure. So this becomes an issue. So I guess eventually. So you're saying, like in theatrical release, there was another the, song. a Dawkins song called um, "Into the Fire" that she was playing at the beginning. Yeah. When it, when the when our film went on VHS, they replaced that Dawkins song with "Quiet Cool" that was New Line had written for the so their film. Dokken, Quiet cool. They only had the rights to the one Dawkins Dream song Warrior that the, the Dream Warrior that we have the V eight the the, uh, the VHS. So the New Line owned this song from another movie. Yeah. Is what you're saying. And so then they just replaced it. Once this this movie went to DVD and maybe Laserdisc, it was they brought the Dokken song back. It's back. It's back and in full full, full effect. Um, I like the idea when they find um, um, uh, what's his face's uh, character uh, uh, Saxon. He's in a bar called Nemo's Little Nemo's, and Little Nemo is a famous character from like the turn of the century, a, 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 a comic strip character, and they made a movie with um. Maybe Macaulay Culkin and Christopher Lloyd, but it's it's uh, from like the mid '90s, Little Nemo, yeah, yeah. and it's about a kid who Little Nemo in slumber, Slumberland is is uh, the original concept of this kid who falls asleep and he's able to yeah. go into the dreams. It was like a comic strip. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
and it when was I a very would, beautifully done comic strip. So that's the little a send up or homage to that. When I was in Pittsburgh a couple of summers ago, uh, with some of our film school co- cohorts, we went to like the Museum of Animated Art that they have in Pittsburgh. And they had an exhibit, a little Nemo exhibit, was yeah. going on at that time. So they had all like the you know, the artistry is beautiful, amazing how much the art they from, went into that. And that's something that like people forgot now because it's literally a hundred what fifteen years old because it's from like the nineteen odds. Yeah, yeah, you know. And I like that you know they tried to redo it, like I said in that Macaulay call. And I think that came in. Well, and I think the co- I think the strip itself has been revived a couple of times by different artists. Or maybe since that then, was it, Page Master. Maybe that was the Little Nemo movie. That sounds familiar. Oh, Page Master, and that, that was the... He's, I think he's playing that character because he looks like Macaulay Culkin with like round glasses. I'm sure Vanderbilt will correct Mike, that. Yeah, Mike, Mike Vanderbilt knows everything. <laughs> he's the police. About everything. He's like the... He's, yeah. he, he's the fact checker. I like, well, we had a fact checker last <laughs> we, week about we our... Um, we get a message from Vanderbilt. Like, no, that's not why PG-13 exists. <laughs> Fuck! <in this> world. <laughs> he's right. <laughs> but we had one last week with the, with the, with the English edition of... Uh, what did we just do? We did... Um, Last week we did. Uh, what did we just do? For Christ's sakes, that came out two weeks ago. Uh, just came out. We just we just dropped Master it. The universe? Yes, somebody said that not the pub PSAs oh, weren't always yeah. weren't always yeah. edited yeah. Uh, in Britain when I heard that they were. So you know maybe sometimes they weren't yeah, for we content. Don't mind the fact checking. Look, yeah, that's great. You know, tell us on Facebook that way everybody that listened to it hopefully can see it and know. Yeah, know that we know were the right. truth. Yeah, because we can. Not everything we go in here, we, we make stuff up all the well, time. We're just making this shit <laughs> up as we go along. Uh, so the it's it was always the idea for for Craven also to kill Nancy off in this. Yeah. Well, well, he thought I think he thought this would be it. Well, because he thought, I guess he said she wasn't in the second. The third one, if you bring her back, which she was brought back, was his idea was if you keep, if his idea is if you keep the heroine alive through the movies, it kind of weakens the protag, the the antagonist. Yeah. So he thinks you know you'd probably be doing, um, kind of, not a due diligence to Freddy character if you haven't have him succeed killing her. So it was always the idea of maybe killing her off in this. Yeah, I do have to say, um, surprisingly. I found it very emotional when she died. Like, I literally got teared up when we were watching. This is turning into the fulfillment of you being, like you said, that 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 young teenage girl. You have the soul, that teenage girl in there. That 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 it's it's that these emotional aspects of it. You know, I don't know what it, I just. I found it very emotional. I found it very moving when yeah. she dies. She dies in like Patricia Arquette's arms, and it was just. I don't know. I just. I found it. It moved me. Well, it's it's sad, you know. It's like she's given her life up for them, you know, in a, in a kind of a way. Well, there's that, you know. It's, I th- you know, obviously, I think you feel for her because of the first one, and uh, there's a lot of things. Um, I think it was also it was like, it was Patricia Arquette's reaction when she's like, "I'm going to dream you into a beautiful place," yeah, you know. Yeah. Like I, I'm actually you get a little misty. I'm actually getting kind of. I'm actually getting a little teary. I, mean, I don't have any tissues in the just attic. Thinking about it, I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why it 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 affects me. But uh, it was her reaction and that idea of like, I'm going to save you. I'm going to dream you into a uh, you know a happy world so that you don't have to deal with the the garbage of of what's going on. Um, I don't know. It moved me. Yeah, uh, it worked. It was I, very moving. It, 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 yeah, that's the it, it, that's what's cool about it. It kind of works a little. Well, yeah. Well, that's the you beautiful know? thing yeah. is when you find a movie like this and you can have the, that that little nugget of drama that is successful. Yeah, it, it adds this whole other layer to what could you know what I think people will argue. Maybe I hear most people really dislike the fifth movie. 
And in full disclosure, that's the only one of the series I've never seen in its entirety. Yeah. And I think it's because everybody I talked to was like, oh, the f- fifth one's garbage. Like, Dream Child is garbage. And so I've never sought out to to really sit down and watch it. Yeah. Um, sure, sure. But, uh, you know, just these little emotional things. I mean, it's 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 the beauty of, of, of narrative storytelling. Yeah. Um, moving this along, uh, I like that they... You know, they have to go to the junkyard to, to, to find Freddy's body. And I guess we see that Freddy's body is uh, interred in the trunk of a, of a maybe like a 60 or 61 caddy. And I guess that's the, they say that's the same car she leaves in the first movie Nancy drives off in. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, and also we keep bringing up this episode of the TV show that we watch for the backstory. He's also, probably because of this movie we're doing, when they do this a couple years later, he's when they want to go get his body, he's also interred in a car in, in the in the in the episode series. Yeah. So um, I don't know why they would have, like, I guess in the old days, they, they I, I never, you know, you would think that in a junkyard, eventually those cars would be crushed and I know. scrapped. So, I thought it's a know, little, it's a little, uh, you know, it's in mis- a, you know, it's hard to believe that John Sachs would like, oh, he's in this car over here. Yeah, way you in know, the 10 middle. 10 years later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this movie takes place in 1990, actually, because if you look at it's six years after the first movie, the first movie is what, 84. So mm-hmm. this takes a little forward in time. Uh, we brought up Daramont, who I guess everyone nowadays would know from Darabont. Uh, Darabont who would know from Walking Dead and a lot of the Stephen King adaptation movies. Yeah, Shawshank. Shawshank and The Mist and uh, other ones like that. Uh, Green. Green Mile. Uh, a lot of, let's, a lot like we said, a lot of the practical effects in this film were great. The, oh, yeah, the, great stuff. The, we have great uh, stop motion scene right out of like Ray Harryhausen or Puppet Master of the we time. We have a couple because we have the puppet, we have the puppet, the marionette the clay, scene. Yeah, the clay face one. And then we have like a little Harryhausen tribute at the end of towards the end of the movie with the freddy's remains become a ske- yes. walking skeleton yeah and which it's is a, a direct homage to, to yeah to harry house and to J- jason the agronauts where you have at the end where it, that's great it's rear screen projection and that's choreographed brilliantly where you have it actually he's done really well yeah because you, there he a lot of times that's hard to have the the stop motion uh, aspect interacting yeah. in a sword fight say but this one he's whacking people away he's yeah I mean, you can see that people. the picture quality because of the, the optical the, printing yeah. is different, which is, but it's part of that's all very nostalgic yeah, for yeah. me, too. Seeing um, the giant uh, Freddy Snakehead thing. Yeah, which they said was too phallic at the time. It, it looked yeah, too much like a penis. Yeah, they did it. It looked just, you know, it was, it was Freddy's flesh colored. And so when uh, Chuck Russell looked at it, he was like, it's a big, it's a giant penis. Yeah. And, and, the, and the effects guy's like, yeah, well, that's this is what we discussed. And he's like, well, we can't have a giant penis trying to eat yeah. our main <laughs> So the, he's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is what we talked about. This is what I did. He's like, well, can we change the color? So that's why it's like a bluish yeah, it looks green. A different. It's and not like it's not it's not dick colored. It's like a. Yeah, kind like, of a like a little gross, slimy green. Color. And I think that's what brought up a lot of issues with like this was this movie was banned in Queensland, Australia. Uh, I think England had a lot of problems with with it. So I think in that I think the phallic aspect of the snake that yeah. had something to do with a lot of this. Um, I would love to bring up when we're watching the, the movie starts and like fourth bill in you have dick cavett as a credit and jaja gabor i'm like dick cavett and jaja gabor are gonna be in this and then it's it was really cool i wonder at the time if that was a surprise how that scene went because you have her watching the dick cavett show and then all of a sudden dick cavett turns into freddie cougar and kills jaja gabor and i think that's brilliantly done you know uh maybe it's a little 
old hat now or people would expect yeah. that but i thought that's really cool that she's starting to fall asleep and freddie shows up on the tv and they said that they asked to have it to appear he he would and they said who would you want to have guests on it and he said he'd only met Jaja gabor once and she he thought i guess he said he thought she was an idiot yeah, yeah. and he never had her on the show so he said i want to have her on this show to kill her yeah, and she'd yeah. be a great person to kill and i wonder if she knows that because you well, know now she's dead yeah, but, but i mean like at the time i was recent she died somewhat recently Jaja gabor yeah one of the one of them died in the in the mid 90s and then the other one yeah, yeah Jaja. yeah ava, ava died, died. In the 90s, but Jaja just died this like yeah late, like a year ago late 2016 yeah um so that so that's interesting to have them you yeah. know because they're built on the poster and everything like you know they, they yeah. got pretty prominent well, it's, it's as you a know that reminds cameo. me of one of the aspects of these movies that i love a lot is that like when they close their eyes it's like instantaneous like they're in the dream well, it's almost like how so it's a beautiful it's an amazing device for the viewer yeah you know she closes her eyes and then she opens her eyes and she doesn't realize that she's in a dream yet and you know the same thing happens with uh you know Patricia Arquette when she's in solitary, she closes her eyes and then all, they're all there. With yeah, because they're already like, like hey, <laughs> you know, like I love that kind of like they don't know. I mean, it's what makes it scary. I mean, you know, the this and the get the the boobs were a big part of this. Yeah, and then, so our, there's two things we're also going to include in the extras on this cast. If you go to our regular site, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, you'll you can see it. Uh, is one the original script is is online for you to to read the different there's the actual original Craven script versus the the Russell script uh, Chuck Russell and then there's this scene where they were gonna have Freddie turn into the, the the nurse with the boobs and there's actually stills from the set they must have put the girl in the costuming with yeah, the Freddie yeah. face but they didn't end up using it because they said it looked really weird or yeah it was ba- it's basically like Robert England's Freddie head yeah. on this gorgeous female which body. is like <laughs> it's like for a lot of people I remember like. Uh, I talked to people who were slightly older saying like, uh, you know, someone said to me like, you know, the first time I ever heart, had a heart on in cinema was seeing like the girl in The Shining, you know, and she's completely naked. Yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden she turns into this rotting corpse and like everyone's like, Boo! you know, <laughs> yeah. that may be the same thing for like here yeah, with, yeah. you know, this girl, she takes her clothes off and she's so gorgeous and it's like so 80s, you know, this whole sequence, like, you know, it's so classic and then to have it go that way. Another thing, you know, another you know he's yeah, him, yeah you know so it's that's so we'll include a pic of that too there was also a great effect that was never used which is in the beginning when she's in the dream and then she has like that little five-year-old girl yes the, the she's carrying she's running around with her in the house <laughs> which like in that scene when she's carrying her she like right when she starts carrying her and obviously she's carrying like a like a doll yeah. like a dummy as she's running because the girl would have been too heavy for Patricia Arquette to run around with. <laughs> like she smacks her head. Right? Like, <laughs> doesn't even realize. She tries to take that corner. <laughs> smacks that <laughs> dummy head. Um, but uh, yeah, so but then she gets there and she realizes that uh, it's a, it's in the nightmare and in the, and in the movie she looks down and it's a skeleton. Yeah. But they had made this amazing looking like animatronic puppet of yeah. like this the the direction that the guy was given and unfortunately I can't remember the guy's name who did the effects that specific effect but I think he's the guy that did the effects for Evil Dead Two. Well, that's they said that the glove was stolen from the set one day and they found that on the Evil Dead Two set like on the wall, <laughs> you know. So there was I guess there's there is some sort of like back and forth between this yeah, yeah. between a lot him of and these guys will like somebody will oh yeah and then yeah. There's, there's like the the Craven Raimi. Uh, like kind of back and forth yeah but so they created this little doll and his only direction was like think Auschwitz yeah so he like he created this like really disturbing like five-year-old emaciated 
bumblefied like corpse yeah. thing. And they said it was too frightening. They didn't use it. I think they should have used yeah, it. Yeah, I think it would have been great. you see pictures of it. It's really... Is there pictures out there? Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. include it. Another link we'll in here. Some, we'll find them. Um... And then uh, at the end of the movie, the whole thing where he opens his, sh- his shirt up and you see the souls on his chest, again, t- just f- I found revolting and disgusting with yeah, the faces. Yeah. He's keeping them for power. And uh, I love the aspect of the nun that he's seeing through the whole movie mm-hmm. because I didn't really put it together until the end that that's Freddy's mom. And it's like, oh, that's pretty cool that she's yeah. only seeing him to help him you know, get the back in the grave. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I found it so lofty that it's like so 80sly awesome. The proposition, you know, he's the bastard of child of a hundred maniacs. <laughs> it's like wow, you know, like that's like yeah. really that's setting up some backstory right there. You know, but you do with the nun, and then you, he has to be, you have to dispose of his remains on, on sacred ground, on sacred holy ground, ground on holy ground to the water, to, holy water. It, you know, like they say, if the if the second one is like the gay Nightmare on Elm Street, this is like the christian yeah how to to like roman catholic dispose of it um i also thought there's homage to body double the palmas movie where uh, he gets thrown in the grave and he's getting buried alive i thought when the uh the girl in her dream the was it the the punk girl remember she turns into like like a punk rocker or whatever dreams i'm yeah i'm beautiful she and bad she looks to me so much like um What's her face from Body Double? Uh, who was married to in- Antonio Banderas? Oh, Melanie Griffith. Yeah, Mer- Melanie Griffith. She's a porn actress in Body Double, yeah. and she's dressed like that with the hair, and she looks very... I thought they were all also taking a page from Body Double. I'm like, there's so many comparisons here. <laughs> um, Great double feature. Yeah, so this movie ends up coming out. It was made for $4.5 million, but it ends up grossing $47.2 million for 1987. Yeah, which was like... A- Big fucking deal. Yeah, which nowadays are saying about ninety-one million in ticket prices for like today, and it was you know it was a pretty high-grossing movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's true, but they say that back then you had never really had such like a low budget. You know, obviously people made horror movies low budget, and then t- because you could make them low budget and make a lot of money, but you had never had one like be number one at the box office for that long. Like you had never had like a low budget horror movie. That yeah. was really only destined for like cult status to be like really mainstream and and such a huge success. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one other thing they said was in the original script was they were going to have like the the warriors team up and tr- make like a kind of transformer style robot to fight Freddy, but that didn't get past like inception <laughs> stage. That yeah, that'd awesome, be weird though. at the time. Um, and then the the pig on set that they said that was a real pig that they yeah. used. They roasted we always a pig. Hear those. They're like, we roasted a pig and then we let it rot. Yeah. And so they said that the whole set smells like, okay, I can understand you can't put the money into creating like an animatronic pig, but can't you just like paint the pig to look like it's rotted? Like, why does it have to be, I have to wait for the thing to actually rot to stick up. Yeah. And then they, then they, they put like armatures in it to actually have it animated. Uh, and then when we were talking about before with the syringes, when he kills that girl with the syringes, evidently, originally her head was going to explode, but they thought it just looked too cheesy. Yeah. And they didn't end could, up using and, it. And I think in maybe Never Sleep Again, you can see some, like, you can see, like, the takes, or at least one of the takes that just, like, didn't work. Like, it just didn't. It's just, like, just her eyes blow out, like, not her. But overall, I think it's a it's a really tour de force, just beautiful, genius, practical effects oh, in this movie. That's the, the main you know? movie. The, I mean, it's... Like, the whole TV... Segment where he kills her with the TV. It's just iconic all that, that yeah. scene, you know. Like I said, like we said earlier in the movie, like the death scenes in this movie are among the most iconic of the, in the Freddy lore, like uh, of the series, yeah. of the entire series, like the set pieces of these death scenes and the dream and the way the dreams work and everything. It's it they're it's really impressive. Prior to CGI, it's very impressive, you know. And then um, 
and then England improv a lot of his lines like that that became iconic like you know yeah. welcome to prime time bitch or um, you know th- this is your big break your big TV break like all that stuff he ended up yeah, you know yeah. improving so um, what do you what are your feelings on uh, this begot a whole it didn't tank a series it was quite popular enough no they say it's you know, a per- you know if you look at it it's really kind of a perfect installment and in that it it cr- it furthers the myth but doesn't end up really taking away anything from the first movie. Yeah. You know, it really it advances it in a way that makes it more mainstream and like had this movie not existed, Freddie wouldn't have been as iconic of a character as he is today. Like you wouldn't have, you know, Freddie versus Jason versus Ash comic yeah. books. You wouldn't have Freddie versus Jason movies and it really this is the movie that made the series, and it's certainly what we think of when we think of Freddy. This is the Freddy we think about. Yeah, it, it kind of paved that road for him to go down to become the satirical jokester, huckster, yeah. and the stuff, which is a whole other yeah thing. And and we don't have time for it now. But if when we get around to Friday the Thirteenth, I have a whole kinds of theories about you know as series go longer, they get more meta and more yeah. you know commenting on themselves and and everything and this is a perfect example of when that's starting to happen that turn i i like this like i said this was probably maybe one of my most fun screenings for the show that we've done so far yeah it's just it's to me it's like it's a perfect sleepover movie it's certain one of the like it's got boobs it's got freddy yeah <laughs> i mean it's certainly when you think of like I, to me horror films are always very sleepover good material and then like for it to be 80s uh, an established character yeah. like Freddy and then having it be nudity in it and then, you know, stuff that very scary back then. The effects work, you know. It's yeah. fun. Um, I mean, they even got nominated for like Saturn Awards in 88, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, it got recognition and then the tie-in with the music video, the first special feature on VHS, having the video afterward for you to, you know. So, it's all very good stuff. Um, yeah. What do you think of Buckets of Pizzas? Four? Four, four. and a half? Like, I, you out know. Out of five. Yeah, yeah. Out of five. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think it's the best movie we've we've talked about, but I think it's one of the most sleepover movies yeah. we've talked about. <laughs> like it is, it is perfect. You know, like sleepover fodder. You know, yeah, like yeah. it was. I and I had a good. I've had a really good time watching. I hadn't seen it since college, and like I said earlier, I didn't love it when I watched it in college, but I really had a good time watching it yeah. tonight. Yeah, I mean, it was exciting for me to finally see it because, like I said, I, it's certainly been talked up to me in the Freddy lore. You know, yeah, the third yeah. one's awesome, Dream Warrior. I mean, I would go probably like three out of five. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's good. I mean, the 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 only things I like I said before the the problems I had with it, but. You know, I think it certainly makes up for it in the long run, and and it's it's you know it's it's such an iconic, yeah. you know, it really just furthered the mythos, and it's 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 a solid, you know, and I'm sure the more you watch it, you know, the the more you'll get out of it, which is really yeah, exciting. Yeah. You know, the next one is four. Maybe we'll do four at some point down the line because that was Rennie Hart, one of Rennie Harlan's early movies. Yeah, four, and that's that one's a lot of fun too. Uh, a new nightmare or something we should, you know we yeah, I love get to, new you know. nightmare I, it's flawed but I really enjoy hey, it hey you know like we always say so many movies so little time <laughs> but uh, we hope you liked the, the another episode um, like Blake said we're gonna be at the end of the uh, in the month of March mid-March uh, weekend of 10th 11th 12th we'll be in Cherry Hill yeah I'm there to, uh, the Monster 11th Mania. and 12th you're there 10th 11th and 12th doing your book signing I'm just there to help out and go get him water when he needs it and uh, pat my forehead yeah pat your forehead <laughs> You know, he's going to be doing so many signings. I'm going to have to just, you know, rub his carpal tunnels, you know. And uh, 
uh, we'll be there for that if you're in the New Jersey area. Um, and, a lot of uh, your guests going to be there that one. Yeah, so we'll we'll put a link up if you want to check that out to, to the details of that. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. We'll be back again. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on all the different uh, podcasting places. And uh, you better watch out because uh, what is it? Sleep well, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep well, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>